So just keeping up with uh, current current events and just my perspective as we're kind of going forward as I opine and I think ahead for myself and for my family and uh, for uh, for the podcast and I do my very best to just work with all the, the facts and the details in review that we've been working through you know, through this entire podcast and so you can see that ultimately time for renewed emergency war powers has come. So this situation, the situation, um, Joe Biden, it's pretty shocking with all the files and everything that, that, that have been going on, but I guess it just seems to be the other uh, the other shoe that, that is to drop. Is that the right analogy? I don't know. Concerning all of his, as we said early on, that he was a asset, you know, just a bought and sold asset because of this corruption. I mean, they say influence peddling, but I think it goes way more than that. So people that could go and get access to these files actually would pay to have these kind of foreign espionage wins and exploits. So, you know, and th- this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, these people are just going along with plan of globalism for the purpose of I mean, the guy, our president, let's just face it, is a traitor. And it's something we kind of always understood about these people and how they operate and how they sell out our country. That they have no regard for anything that we do. Or So, yeah, I think it's the downfall of the Biden fam- crime family. And uh, they're just typical new money, Roman Catholic perverts, you know. Problems with sexual perversion in the priesthood of Rome is, is pervasive. The perversion is pervasive. And it's because if you look at the scriptures, it says that a man who is going to be a pastor or a bishop in the church and the ministry of Jesus Christ has to be a married man with one wife. In those days, in day and age, it might not have been unusual for a man to have more than one wife. Or it wasn't. It was advantageous for women who, who could have a wealthy husband who had his time divided among other wives. So he was a very busy man. And a man who probably took really good care of the wives and uh, didn't have enough time to really bother bother them very much. So it was a good deal all around. It was, you know, it's understandable. This is the course of human civilization. But this idea that a man who is going to stand as a as a, a pastor or as a deacon or a bishop in those positions in the Church of God had to be a, a man who was married but only with one wife, and that was. A scriptural commandment and I think that that idea now that all throughout society especially in American society it's pretty much typical for a man only to have one wife and it would be unusual and, and it would be maybe taboo or even you know I guess Mormons try it uh, I'm trying to think of polygamy uh, you know it just you know my wife would slap me it's not a conversation that anybody brings up you know the, the typical ideal is that the man has one wife and just one partner and one fixation of his love and not you know, other you know paramours or you know so it's just kind of a different kind of social construct that arises out of this scriptural judeo-christian admonition of the bible and so does the idea of today and this day and age of marriage the idea of this kind of solemn lifelong practice of monogamy which is rare these days, I guess. But not so rare. 
but I guess that practice of, of monogamous marriage, faithful, in the context of whatever people agree that that, I, that is, which is their freedom to do so. So not the, not the strictures and the conditions of other people, but in the confines of one's own marriage, and whatever that they like to do pleases them. And maybe some people think that if they, if they held hands, that it was cheating, and they're so upset, and other people, they don't think that. They think, oh, it's okay. They just held hands. You know, so just people are different. And what constitutes cheating and what constitutes, you know, the violation of the condition of their, you know, monogamy is, is up to them, you know. And then they, they kind of, those pieces kind of fit together naturally. There's, there's a certain amount of, like, possessiveness or jealousness, jealousy that might occur in a relationship, but also a certain amount of letting go and freedom. And, um, and I think those are all the things that you just kind of, like, cycle through in the time of that you, you have a, a long relationship. So I think that I'm fascinated by that kind of concept. And also other people, you know, out there who are experiencing marriages and monogamy. Even maybe people who are same-sex couples. How about that? Like, that, are, that have phenomenal marriages and, and long-term monogamous relationships kind of transcend the idea of heterosexual or homosexual. I think that on some level there, people have to, have to, I have to, you have, you have to be free. We, all, we have to be free to... Imagine, like, the one that you want to be buried with. Like, you know, they, you know what I mean? You have to be free. You know, there, there has to be some kind of freedom to choose that. I, you know, it's, it's uh, beyond anyone's ability to cognize what happens for others. But for each for our own personal precious lover or spouse or partner or, you know, you fill in the blank. And everyone's different with that. And uh, I think that, I think that... Uh, that's the most beautiful thing. I think that it's uh, it's sad when people can't find that special one or are not able to. And life goes by so fast. I mean, think about how many people were aborted. You never get. Oh, they were just stem cells. They were just stem cells in the in the canal. They weren't really. Um, they weren't really living. They weren't living, breathing people. Well, they sold their organs of those people <laughs> that got aborted, and they're all dead. And they never even got to see the sun, not really. Maybe the inside of like a, for just a momentary in, in the agony of being pulled apart or whatever they do, having their brains snipped, whatever, you know, in the back of the, the head there. I just remember just whole, clutching a, a little baby and just being like so terrified that you're afraid you'll faint because you're just so, you, you know, it's so, so fragile. The, the, little, the, little, the little person is so desperately dependent. And then, you know, and then, the, you know, people talk about the, the soft spot on the baby's head. You have to, you have to be careful. And, the, you know, you put a little baby cap on the infant. And, uh, you know, we, you know he, he's growing. He's still in the process of becoming a, a young person, a toddler, an adolescent, and, you know, in this process of growing. And the entire growth of life is human. And we should be on our knees we should pray. we should repent to God for our nation that we that our people are our, our, our in our counties and in our cities and states and you know our, our American citizens participated in that and, and there were situations and, there, and you know everyone knows the desperate kind of political tension that goes on with all that it's very complicated but the gratuitous human destruction human sacrifice it's emblematic of this poured out and dying and perverse culture and reprobate culture and so i distinguish there what you know because i have to go i always lose my mind when i think about these lgbtq why uh 
you know, pride events and they have, they have the people walking around with the strap on dildos and the S&M bondage gear and the, you know and then the kids and then the dog and the weird doggy stuff it's just it's you know it's like that, that bestiality stuff it's, it's just so gross that you know what I mean I, I, I can't imagine my kids being exposed to it or anyone's kids being exposed to people to expose their own kids to it it's you know so it's heinous and it's it's grotesque so same thing with the transgender story hour for the kids at the library. It's just, it's just, just sick and heinous. It's perverted, and it encourages me when you know when I, I we listen to, you know, Dave Rubin, <laughs> and Dave Rubin smashes it. The whole topic and the whole issue of that pervert perversion there harder than anyone else, and I really just give him credit for that and I really appreciate that because when he says that he doesn't want to take his kids and put his kids around that crap he has to protect his children from that and that that he and his marriage are people that are dedicated and monogamous and people who are law-abiding married family right it's totally different than all the kind of like where 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 the whole LGBT Marxian psychopath agenda mixes with BLM and Antifa and all that, you know. The, so the, there's this massive separation point, politically, culturally, ideologically, in, in in really our hearts and our minds, right, in our families. Like we have to think now about who we let our kids play with and what the ramifications could be, and what what are the beliefs and ideals, and you know, are, are we compatible? You know, do you know are we are we all on the same wavelength and on the same page? And um, I think that. The fact that we're just all people, and we're all just individuals who are trying to pursue that thing, that happiness, the freedom to move about freely, travel even. That's why I always have a problem with these driver's license, licenses to, to drive. It's really tax to travel, control and digital submission to travel. And uh, I think that just the, the unwarranted police contact and all that just having to do with documentation and all this, it's just insane. And then you have people pouring over the border, a couple other 50, 20, 10, 3 million, 8, 6 million, 200,000, a caravan, another caravan, 25,000, pouring over the border. They don't have any freaking licenses. No, no one's running them down with the lights and the cuffs and all that to like check and make sure you paid your, your dues, paid your registration, paid all your fees. Oh, you're valid. You're not valid. Uh, the whole technotronic control mechanism that we just so uh, unthinkingly accept. And then law enforcement officers, God bless them. I guess it depends on what county you live in. Because the county I live in, they're just they're just totally different and they're amazing. Because the courthouse, they, you know, I never had them just sit, dismiss. Oh. <laughs> never had a, never had a, uh, get struck with the driving with no license issue got hauled in there and then the county judge dismissed it oh, wow because other places boy they freaking they ring you out they get all their money in their 259 dollar this and then doing this and now they get the jail thing 90 days in there but we gotta pay for that 280 dollars for you being in jail i would have to like make my family suffer months of me being out of work because of a driver's license issue it's totally tyrannical it's enough to make you and then you have the people pouring over the border they're just walking around it's enough to make you uh but you have to breathe deep. And then you just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And everything is okay. Because, you know, it doesn't matter what happens with this place. This temporary opportunity of freedom and liberty that we have. And uh, it looks like that they're not going to allow that. Anyone to get into the executive office, guys. Anyone breathing into the executive office is going to change the conditions of that situation. As far as emergency warfare. They're going to re-up that. Now they're putting tanks for 
they're preempting the third world war they're making my uh, crazy <laughs> my crazy uh, conspiracy theory podcast here they're making it blow up that's what they're doing because all you gotta do is start to look at every day's headlines and then you're gonna see my podcast just four or five or six you know spots down there and we've been talking about these issues the whole time and you're with us and we, you know, it's just a matter of getting prepared to weather the collapse we can really individuals you know we're not you know despite how they're trying to the FBI manuals how they're trying to paint white Christian national homegrown terrorist sales and all this kind of stuff how they try to set up those people with the Gretchen Whitmer thing they're still in a straight face with that acting like that's real that's why it's so dangerous because actually they set up all those good dudes and then they got those those prosecutions and oh they didn't get them or they went and got them again and they got they got whatever they, they, they had to get to make that real so they could put it in their little you know they could document it put it in their little book yep we got homegrown terrorists we just whipped up right over here and then they just took it to uh, like Darren Beatty man you guys you guys are camping you're sleeping Sleepwalking into the, the, the World War Three. So, Darren Beatty followed up with the um, with all that, exposed all that. Gotta get on there. Gotta gotta send him five bucks. Gotta do something because that is amazing to uh, to get to the bottom of all that. And um, just following up with the Gretchen Witchmer FBI witch hunt and finding those potheads and those like panhandler guys or whatever 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 kind of rabble rouse they got over there that they could at the AA meeting or whatever it was they could talk into supposedly going up to Gretchen Witchmer's cavern and it's all you know what I mean it's serious stuff dude it's amazing and that whole team they just move them over to Washington DC give them promotions and just a short time later they're responsible for pulling off the January 6th uh, Ray Epps you know Spy rape. I always do. I always play with the letters. So Ray Epps. If you if you take the letters Ray Epps, and you scramble them around. It's spy rape. And of course, I don't think Ray Epps is his real name, right? So like, who is that guy? You know, and all these cutouts. The people who are up on the pavilion. You know, up on the pavilion, like pushing people in. Cops opening. Like all the all, all the video comes out now. The dudes have already been in prison for like ninety seven thousand months or whatever. You know, just in, in eternity. It's the new Inquisition. The coming inquisition that I, you know, I did the podcast on that. It came, and there they are. You don't tell me about your constitutional rights. Don't tell me about it. Don't call me and bother me anymore either about all the things that are about to happen because it sucks to be right. You know, it's not. It's not a matter of trying to be a doomsayer and hope. You know, hope that you can predict this negative outcome. It's just. It's just looking at certain writings and what, what certain in, certain intellectuals. Everyone start checking out. Berkheimer or uh, Mearsheimer, right? Mearsheimer, who was with some guy. Okay, so we get oh, it's Georgetown University. Gotcha. Go over there and check it. Uh, you know, and, and you start to like you have to keep an ear to the ground so you can hear. You know, where the buffalo are stampeding so they don't stampede you. Is not like is not the kind of concept how that works. So, in order to make sure that we're just all on the same page, you have to now prepare for the collapse of the dollar. And they set it up as a global reserve currency, and then these other BRICS nations are trying to set up other little, you know, miniature oil cartels and other like ways of going around the Rockefeller Standard Oil, Knights of, of Malta, like you know, oil bonanza that we've been having over here. And of course, by Joe Biden turning down the restriction of it, it just makes the price of it go up, makes it much more expensive of a commodity. We're getting far richer because we're more dependent on it than ever. 
But no, I think that you have to recognize that the petrodollar will start, they'll start to uncouple it, they'll start to try to digitalize, you know, the money. They really, if you listen to what they're talking about overseas with the COP27 in Dubai and all that kind of stuff, they're talking about digital ID, like really going with that all, all out, digital ID everywhere. And I think that the COVID thing was like a beta test on all that. And they want to do digital central bank, digital, digital currency. And they'll say, oh, it's blockchain. But of course, you know, blockchain, just like anything else, it can be undermined in ways that people haven't really been, you know, understood or predicted yet. So, got to look at the situation with Russia, the dialectic, the low-level dialectic boys, Zelensky and Putin. And Putin's run, run a, na- you know, he runs, runs a nation. And, you know, you got uh, Gloria Newland out there. She's grinding the hatchet in the back. Got the ha- big grinding wheel, got the big hatchet, they're grinding it, they're getting ready to they want Putin. And I guess I've heard talk that he's ill and maybe he has some kind of cancer issues. I mean, I pray for all the leaders of the countries that, you know, that, that, that the countries they have to lead, that they do well and they're, they're wise. That's what Christians, Christians are supposed to do. We're the true globalist international elite because we understand that our leaders are under tremendous crucible of pressures and under like, you know, blackmail and assassination. And, you know, who knows? God bless the leaders that have to do, do right and lead. Like JFK, me, I guess he had all kinds of other problems. But maybe as a man, he knew what he was dealing with and what his oath meant. And uh, that's, that's what you get. That's what you get all through the Inquisition. People like John Huss. Think about John Huss. Yeah, they burned him alive. How about Latimer and Ridley? That was crazy because they did that on Oxford campus. And that place where they burned them is still there. It wasn't that long ago. We rewind the, uh, the clock back just a couple of centuries and then... Maybe, I think it was, I think it was the 1800s, you know, Latimer and Ridley. Saying that right? Yeah, I think so. They burned them. They burned them alive. Because they wouldn't accept that the papal thesis, the Jesuit thesis, is the only thesis. And if you question it, then you're a heretic. You know, and they, go, they take you down that little path. They, the, the third degree, where they would, they would show you the tools. <laughs> Can you imagine... It's incomprehensible. They show you the tool, the, the torture tools in the third degree. And after that point, there's no going back. So a lot of people withstood it. A lot of people killed them, their, their families and themselves. And that was very brave. And I, and I don't believe this kind of Vatican orthodoxy, but, oh, he killed himself, so he went damn straight to hell. I don't believe that. I don't, I mean, I don't think that you should murder yourself. You could get in trouble with the Lord from that. I mean, he, he can send anyone to hell he wants. That you can't sit here on earth and say there's a doctrine that sends people straight to hell. That's not true. The, the only person who's ever going to authorize anyone to go to hell or not is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can send anyone to hell he wants. And no one can stop him. That's why he's the Lord. But as far as these people down here with their Vatican and they're like tying people to the stake and burning people alive, I think that, that those people are more endangered of going to hell when they get uh, in front of the Lord than being the victims. I think they, they were trying to um, send the victims to hell by burning them as like a prelude, as if, they, as if they were burning them alive and then casting them down into eternal flames also, forever. That's all my, that's all my gear. Hear that? Hear that noise? That's my gear. I'm, I've, I've arrived. I've arrived to the house. I'm disclosing my podcast magic of how I get it done, how this all gets done, how the, the sausage gets made. But the truth is, is that this process of maintaining the system of the Pontifex Maximus, which is the Hierophant title of the ancient Babylonian priest kings, 
keeping that legacy and that peerage and the ancient dynasty and the dynastic legacy alive through Julius Caesar up through Constantine and Theodosius and up and up into the papacy uh, should not be something that we should understand in human terms because those concepts are really things that are arising out of the dark principalities and forces of, of Satan, really. I mean, just when you break it down, you know, among names that we really shouldn't bother bringing up, we're discussing those forces, those fallen and pernicious forces, are keeping that legacy and that occult throne of papal and geo- geopolitical power alive for their own purposes. They developed it all along, and it was arranged and alive during the time of Christ. And that's why he confronted Satan in the wilderness and Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the world. And, and that's what the papacy has control of. That's what it, it owns. It develops all of its altar boys to become high, high-placed papal knights or monarchs like King Juan Carlos or you know Charles III or, you know, all these men are ultimately connected with these knighthood orders and with these system of the divine right of kings, which all stems out of papal doctrine and which are all connected with the counter-reformation and their their ultimate desire to control the globe and the environment through the United Nations and World Health, you know, all the global institutions, like the World Trade Organization and yada, yada, and the WEF, right? The WEF, which is really just the few. If you just put it backwards, no one said that yet. But if you spell that backwards, it's just the few. And so they, have, they always have their little letter games, the games they play. And um, you can see the connection between Pope Francis or Guglio and Klaus Schwab. And we'll have to develop that as we go. Something that um, Jay Dyer was talking about again. And that connection is really the connection between the elite aristocracy and the nobility and the royalty, which is what Klaus Schwab represents, and the papacy. So those are going to be the throne and altar, right? The the square and compass, if you will, the, the implements of their, you know, their, their imperial control for a very long time. So you can see that it was the same thing during the Holy Alliance. So you had Prince Metternich uh, getting with the Pope and the other kings and the other nobility and the, and, and the papal orders of knights. So you know what time it is. It's time for our sponsor, Wendy's Boutique Limited, wendyslimited.com. And there you can find all of the hottest new styles and latest couture wear, high-end trending boutique apparel and fashion design uh, goods and other wonderful jewelry, fine jewelry. You find uh, brand names there, find Rolex and other uh, Gucci, other fine brand names, fashion apparel you just have to have. So that's wendyslimited.com. Of course, Wendy's. Limited.com has been coming to the forefront lately, lately at the top of the, uh, the Google search engine, providing everything you just have to have. So just wonderful pearl brooches, and they have wonderful overland uh, winter wear. Of course, their new summer catalog is coming out, so Wendy'sLimited.com. Wendy's Boutique Limited, it's the hottest luxury boutique online, you got to check it out. And uh, if you want to support us over here at Looking Glass, you go to check out wendyslimited.com. Wendyslimited.com.
aristocracy and the nobility and the royalty, which is what Klaus Schwab represents, and the papacy. So those are going to be the throne and altar, right? The the square and compass, if you will, the the implements of their their imperial control for a very long time. So you can see that it was the same thing during the Holy Alliance. So you had Prince Metternich uh, getting with the Pope and the other kings and the other nobility and the, and, and the papal orders of knights. And of course, famously, uh, Metternich is a knight of Malta. If you want to look up that, that's just how their system, their phalanx of, of international power works. And today you have the same thing. You have Klaus Schwab, who's, who really is a, attached to the elite nobility and the aristocracy in Europe. And, and everything that they do as far as Davos and all that represents that. And their connection with, their tangential connection with the Vatican through this system of globalization, which just, you know, like imperialism of old, just seeks to usurp hegemony and authority and power over the entire globe with, you know, environmentalism or how, how, whatever, whatever gets it done, you know, whatever it takes for you to just, you know, recycle your goods and give up your personal liberty and autonomy, stay in your home and follow the orders and follow the commands that, you know, so same thing with COVID, it wasn't the police or your local city council or the Congress who made those laws. It was the world economic forum. It was the world health organization that told those police to arrest you and make you wear a mask. And it just created a mental frenzy, a mental panic where no one really knew where uh, the law begins and where, you know, COVID international COVID like regulations end. you know, just, they just started to just make it up as they go. People were making it up as they go and they just, you know, no one really had the authority to arrest you. People were shot in shops over arguments, over masks. So that was the kind of mental imperium that they were able to cast over our entire society. And so you can see that that's the kind of way that they implement power and, and globalism, and it's just the way that same thing with the Vatican, how they do their their powerful emotional holidays with Christmas magic and Santa Claus and reindeer clip clopping on the roof and coming down the chimney, right, to give you the presents. And here's a cookie for Santa. Like that's 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 the kind of mind control that they implement over people. So they'll come in with their spears and make you uh, leave milk for Santa, but it's just through the process, the religio cultic gradualism of time and the syncretism of their Ritualism over time becomes something the entire culture is imbibed with. So this is something that happened after World War II. Really, if you watch uh, A Good Shepherd, they really show a good, a good detail of this. When we, basically, when we go off uh, the the gold standard, we go off the you know silver certificates and move towards Federal Reserve notes. That, that entire process of that banking transformation also trans. You see the transformation of the country as Bing Crosby, like we talked about before, and and all, all the kind of you know cultural propaganda of Christmas cheer, right? So there we just happily just played for you the little clip so you can just, I don't have to sing it myself from memory there, but that's the, the power over the course of time with the silver screen and the dawn of the radio and, you know, the advent of Hollywood and Elvis Presley. And of course, with that intensity of that cultural, uh, all pervasive cultural hegemony over the minds uh, of America and the newer generations. I mean, after this, you would have the British invasion with, with the Beatles and all this stuff was the 
evidence of the propaganda that was really leading America in the direction that it should go, which is like a return to monarchy and a return to papal, universal papal empowerment over the rest of the nations of the world. So you can see that before this period, before the 40s and 50s, you didn't have, you had straight, straight line Baptist Protestant churches who you know didn't necessarily conduct all their services on Sunday like the Roman church did and didn't necessarily practice every single Roman holiday and ritual like Christmas and Easter the way they do now. So it was a process of overtaking the system of churches in America with the World Council of Churches and, and with the C3, 2-1-odd, whatever, whatever, you know, the regulations that they require you to, to get in order to, to have the status as a church. And ultimately, the control that the government influences that you can't talk about certain political things or you lose your status, you blah, blah, blah. A lot of these churches are becoming corporations and becoming private groups, so they, they don't have to rely on the, the government giving you purchase and giving you license to speak about these issues. So that's where we have to go as people who are going to be interested in the, the biblical narrative, you know, history here and the, the account of the gospel. We're going to have to learn that having government instituted organizations is no longer beneficial or helpful. So just, you know, if you're going to have a group like that, just have a, a private a company, a private corporation and operate like other companies do, you know, and, and so that you don't have to be in danger of the government looming in the background trying to, you know, hold you accountable or remove your st your privileges or status or to take your church affiliation away. So in order not to just belabor that anymore, I wanted to introduce just a few clips here. And I really like what, like what we were saying, what Dave Rubin has to say about the, the ubiquitous culture of perversion overtaking the country and how just hyper-politicized all these issues are emerged together, conflating hyper-political Marxian anti-American politics with people's, you know, private life choices about how they conduct their family affairs. So, you know, if you're a private family and you have a same-sex marriage, then all of a sudden, you know, it incorporates your entire soul and mind into and, and automatically enrolls you in the system of anti-American perversion and political debauchery that we're seeing that's just bringing the country down, of course. Not everyone agrees with that. So let's just um, let's listen to these interesting criticisms. And uh, anti-woke education reforms are coming to the free state of Florida. We want to make sure that everybody that goes through a Florida university uh, has to take certain core course uh, requirements that's really focused on giving them the foundation so that they can think for themselves. And the core curriculum must be grounded in actual history the actual philosophy that has shaped Western civilization. Um, our institutions will be graduating students, I think, with degrees that are going to be meaningful. We don't want students to go through at taxpayer expense and graduate with a degree in zombie studies. And so this is going to make a difference. All DEI and CRT bureaucracies in the state of Florida, no funding, and that will wither on the vine. And I think that that's very important because it really serves as an ideological filter, a political filter. You've seen different things. I mean, New College has really embraced that. And that's part of the reason I think it hasn't been successful in the enrollments down so much, uh, because I think people want to see uh, true academics and they want to get rid of some of the uh, political window dressing that seems to accompany all this. So that's no longer going to be. Uh, in the state of Florida. And the most important, uh, we brought a accountability for tenured faculty. Now, all tenured faculty 
at our state universities must undergo review every five years and can be let go if they are not performing. Text. So the, the beauty of that clip is he's not just saying he's going to do these things. He's actually doing it. You know, New College, which is on the west coast of Florida, became one of the wokest schools in the nation. It was going the road of all the Ivy League schools. It was going the road of Evergreen State, where Brett Weinstein was. Um, and they went in, and now I'm going to show you a video of Chris Rufo in a moment. You know Chris Rufo. He's been on the show many times from the Manhattan Institute. He's been one of the great intellectual leaders of the anti-woke campaign. Uh, he is now going to be on the board at that school. And they are bringing in people who are going to get rid of DIE, diversity, inclusion, and equity, and get rid of all the woke stuff. And this is, and all it's going to do to get us to that first clip from Bill Maher is revert us back to where, where we thought we were five years ago. Maybe we weren't quite there that none of this nonsense existed. Obviously, some of it did. But nobody wants, nobody's sane, except for them. It's just the woke, crazy lefties that want this and their media allies want literally the people in charge of college admissions to be like, okay, we have all these people here. They have roughly the same grades. Let's get the black guy. Let's get the trans girl. Let's get the one with the limp and the lazy eye. Like nobody wants that. Nobody wants that except the new neo-racist of the Democrat party of the left and of the machine. Uh, so Chris Rufo, who I just mentioned, he is working with governor DeSantis on this. He is not a Floridian, but he is helping Florida because he will go to where his work can uh, can be fertilized, basically, or where his his work is the fertilizer for a growing freedom uh, country. We are our own country here, basically. Klaus Schwab is at the WEF, and he gets to, you know, he not only gives the opening speech, and he gets to eat all the fancy food, but he goes on these panels, and he's very, very excited about this. It's very nice to see an excited megalomaniac. He's very excited that they're going to implant microchips in our brains and know everything that you're thinking. Idiot tape. Uh, medical and biological progress and advancing very fast. But can you imagine that in 10 years when we are sitting here, we have an implant in our uh, brains and um, I can immediately feel, because you all will have implants, I can and we measure your, your brain waves, and I can immediately tell you how the people react, or I can feel uh, how the people react um, to your answers. Uh, is it imaginable? Klaus, Klaus, I don't need an implant to figure out how I react to what you're saying. You're evil. I don't want your implant. Nobody wants your implant. Do the people even in that audience want his implant so that when they listen to him, they can all collectively think about who likes what he said and who doesn't like what he said? These people want to take us down to a road of cybernetic hell. I do not want to be locked into their matrix and have my carbon body used as a battery. I don't think you do either. But what's more interesting about it isn't, like, I like all the sci-fi stuff. Like, I like thinking about those things. And there are incredibly cool things on the horizon. I'm not anti-science. I'm not anti-technology by any, by any measure. You know, there are, there are wild things happening right now. And you can't stop science one way or another. You have to hopefully respect it, hopefully look at it in a holistic way. And uh, what was the line, the other line from Jurassic Park? They, they were so concerned about how. They never asked why, or is it they were so concerned about why they never asked how? What was that line? Somebody help me on this one. That's teamwork right there. <laughs> and that's what these people are doing, right? Like, okay, yes, maybe we'd be able to implant chips in people's brains. Maybe we can, so we could. Uh, but should we? Are we going to be happier after? Is any of this making us any happier? But again, I'm not anti-science. You know, you could take, 
let's say a woman who is completely infertile, right? Like her, her uterus will not uh, allow for a pregnancy. And now you could have artificial wombs outside of the body. Like there's something interesting there. There's, there's ethical issues. I, I get all those things, but like we shouldn't be fearing the future in that way, but we should be fearing the people who want to steer us into a future that is more controlled. Because once you swallow the pill that has the uh, experimental chip in it, or they inject it into you, or they lodge it in your brain, or they bash you in the face with it, or whatever they do, uh, it will be about controlling you, obviously. So if you want to understand how it will be about controlling you, and Klaus is very excited that, you know, people in the audience still immediately know what they're thinking because he said something and then some weirdo light goes off in his brain. Uh, former British Prime Minister Tony Blair, he's another one, he's a big globalist too, he's another one at the World Economic Forum, uh, and uh, he wants to bring the digital infrastructure to your country so that they can monitor whether you've been vaccinated or not. You need to know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been. Some of the vaccines that will come on down the line will be multiple. There'll be multiple shots. So you've got to have, for, for reasons to do with the healthcare more generally, but certainly for uh, a pandemic or for, um, for for vaccines, you've got to have a proper digital infrastructure. And many countries don't have that. In fact, most countries don't have that. No, you don't, Tony. You little Mickey Mouse looking weirdo. No, you don't. Uh, you don't have to have that. How insane is it that as we are literally right now, every day we find out more and more about how the vaccines didn't work, how there are all sorts of vaccine injuries and heart problems and everything else. Shouldn't that be what they're talking about? Like, if these people really cared about the world, they really cared about humanity, wouldn't they be talking about, boy, we have uh, Albert Borla here from Pfizer, and we've got the Moderna guy, and we've got all these world leaders who, you know, lock people at home and force people out of jobs and you know, didn't let grandma die peacefully uh, with the family around her. We just threw her into a ditch in the name of science or something. You Wouldn't they be going, guys, let's have a meeting to see what we did wrong here. Uh, see how it is possible that these giant pharmaceutical companies screwed up everything and lied to everybody and that our communication. And they could even do it in a way that wasn't all blaming on them. They could say, boy, we never faced anything like COVID before and we all got a little ahead of ourselves and whatever. But instead... They're trying to figure out more ways to control us after the next magical pandemic comes. And they did learn a lesson. They really did learn a lesson during the last pandemic that people will behave. And not only will people behave as they wish, people will rat out their neighbors. People will punch strangers. Remember all the videos during the height of COVID? These were my favorite videos. When you see someone at a store, someone's not wearing a mask, and then the mask person is chasing the not mask person to tell tattletale on them. Like, they're so supposed to be so afraid of COVID. Wouldn't you be running the other way, generally? You know, at the height of COVID, I think I told the story once, where we were still living in L.A., I was at Costco. And Costco during COVID was just particularly, like, a, Costco's always sort of like a very crazy place to be in general. But it was, like, particularly nutty because everyone was just trying to get as much shit as they possibly could. And I was trying to buy a brisket. And I'm standing there, and they got a lot of meat, and I'm in the brisket thing, and you had to wear a mask, and I walk in without the mask, I got yelled at, I put the mask on, but I always put it beneath my nose, and sometimes even beneath my mouth, and I'm looking at the brisket, and the thing's beneath my nose, and this woman comes up to me, and she's like, you know, the mask doesn't work if it's beneath your nose, and I was like, oh, is that right? Thank you so much. Thank you, lady. Thank you. And then I didn't, I didn't move it up, and then she give me like the evil eye and the evil eye when you also have a mask on is like a double evil eye because the mask you are also bananas horrible but anyway 
Klaus Schwab wants to inject something in your brain, and then this little Mickey Mouse guy wants the government to be able to track all of your updated vaccines. Do you think that is to for you? Do you think that is because they care about you and want to keep you safe from diseases, or do you think it's because they want to control you? What do you think? You win a prize if you get it. Uh, but it continues. Here's a video of the director of the FBI right now. His name's Christopher Ray. He's over there. Not sure what he's doing there. I thought he was supposed to be over here in America. I'm sure we have something to be doing, right? They're pushing papers across the desk or something. Uh, but here he is talking about how private and public collaboration has made great strides to basically watch us. And I think the uh, the sophistication of the private sector is is improving, and and particularly important, the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI, has I think uh, made significant strides. Pretty much every technology we could talk about today, uh, we see both great opportunity, but great great dangers uh, in the wrong hand. I have to say that I wish that the director of the FBI wasn't evil. That's not a fun thing, you know, the director of the FBI. But there he is basically saying that everything that we've talked about here for months related to Elon Musk, who is completely against the WEF, by the way, and making fun of it every day on Twitter, that everything that he has released with the Twitter files is true, that there is a public-private partnership. The FBI is involved, and they are interested in stifling misinformation, which is really also known as truth, and that they're working together, and it seems to be getting stronger, and he's very happy about it. That seems, as the kids say, problematic. Let's do a little Ruben Report community Q&A for you. Daniel says, have you heard about the hockey player that didn't want to wear a rainbow jersey during warm-ups on Pride Night in Philadelphia? The reaction on Twitter is the Seinfeld episode where Kramer refuses to wear the ribbon. Yes, I did hear about this. The guy obviously should not be forced to wear the thing. And he was willing to play in the game, from what I understand. He just didn't want to wear the pin. You shouldn't have to be forced to wear anything. You shouldn't be forced to wear an, uh, an American flag pin. And you shouldn't be forced to wear a BLM pin or a gay pin. A gay brooch, I guess, would be better than a pin. Uh, you just shouldn't be forced to wear any of these things. Obviously, he has his own beliefs. He doesn't. He said, I respect everybody. That's what the guy said. He said, I respect everybody. I respect everyone. Uh, I have my own personal religious beliefs. Uh, and I'm just not going to participate in this. That should be completely fine. But they want, as they want with everything, they want your complete capitulation. They want you to live on your knees forever. There's a funny gay joke there. You can make it yourself. That's what these people want. And you should not bow to them. You could probably figure out a gay joke there, too. It just never ends with these puns. Um, yes, and it is the rainbow. Uh, sorry, it is the uh, flag. No, not the rainbow flag. Yeah, the rainbow ribbon. It's the ribbon. It is the ribbon episode of Seinfeld where he goes to the AIDS march, and he's there. He's like, I'm here, I'm supporting, but he just doesn't want to wear the ribbon. You must wear the ribbon! It literally is that episode come to real life. Uh, it is life imitating art, imitating life. Um, is there a mass awakening? I think that something has shifted where you seem completely ridiculous if you think that what the mainstream is giving you is truth. I think that that concept right there has gone sort of mainstream. Like, if you met someone, really think about this, if you just met someone, you know, you're, you're sitting at a bar, and you start chatting to the person next to you. Do people still do that? I used to do that a while ago. People still do that. You just start chatting to the guy next to you, and he's like, oh, I was watching CNN this evening, and they played a clip of Eric Swalwell, and by golly, uh, 
Kevin McCarthy is really mean, man. You'd be like, you're completely insane. But it's also completely insane that anyone would say that to you or that anyone would admit watching CNN. So I do think something has turned, and I think in some ways that's why the rhetoric of the WEF seems so crazy, because they have to ramp up the crazy to ramp up the scary. It's why the government's always trying to scare you about COVID, because it's not, because people are tuning out. And I think that maybe the greatest silver lining to all of the lunacy of the last couple of years and all of the COVID craziness is that people did start thinking about their lives differently. I certainly know that I did, and I put a lot of that into action and into the ideas of what I talk about here, but literally picking up and moving across the country. Um, and I think a lot of people are feeling some degree of that. You know, this mass migration thing all over the country makes people think about it, right? Why does nobody move to California? Why do 1,200 people move to Florida a day? A day, that's an awful lot of people. It's because people have had some degree of an awakening. So, yeah, I, I think we have to, whether it's fully true or not, I think we have to kind of believe that it's true so that we can make it true. I think it's something like that. Who are out there doing actual journalism in world at the World Economic Forum. They are running down the street, getting microphones in these people's faces, asking them real questions. Anyway, Ezra got in the face of how dare you Greta Thunberg and asked her about her staged arrest. Ezra Levant here for Rebel News. I'm standing outside the CNBC studio, the same one where the vice president threatened to clock our friend Avi Amini. Uh, of course, it's where all the VVIPs pop by to give their propaganda message, dutifully transcribed by the media party here. How dare you? You're arrested at the German coal mine. How many times did you rehearse it? Because it looks staged. Is it true? How many times did you re rehearse your arrest? Greta, how many times did you film your arrest and why was it staged that way? Greta, considering you've not spent much time in school, how do you know so much about climate change? Do you think at least the fact that these delegates take private jets is a bad thing against, you know, what you believe in? All of this could be done via Zoom, so surely... Surely you should be encouraging all the delegates here, especially the likes of U.S. Special Envoy John Kerry for climate, uh, Special Envoy for climate change. Surely you should be saying to these people, you should be doing this via Zoom with a much smaller carbon footprint. Surely. Would you say you're a child actor? Are you a child actor or an expert? How would you describe yourself? Just great stuff. From Rebel, and I know it's like jarring when you see a journalist going after the people who they should go after and asking the right questions. You almost don't know what to do with it because, of course, that's not going to come from anyone at the New York Times or CNN or anything else. As a matter of fact, we showed you videos last week. I think it was a CNBC journalist interviewing Albert Morla, the, the head of Pfizer, basically being like, when can we get the flu COVID combo vaccine? Maybe it was Bloomberg. Oh, yeah, it was Bloomberg TV. Uh, but the point is, it's like they carry water for these people. And then you have a couple people like Ezra that are out there asking the right questions. What's so interesting about Greta, I mean, the smugness and dismissiveness, and she's uh, definitely not starving. I don't know. They fatten all these people up at the World Economic Forum between her and Al Gore and the rest of them. But what's interesting about her is at the very minimum, you know, instead of just walking quietly with that smug smile on her face, why couldn't she just say, you know, actually, you do make a decent point about the, the private plane? Because the carbon footprint of, of this thing is extraordinary, and these people 
are all flying here private. They are all taking up tremendous, tremendous resources. These are ultra-rich people who you can't even imagine the level of shit that these people are doing. You just can't. On top of the $2,500 an hour prostitutes and everything else, right? So why couldn't she just say, actually, you know what? I will answer that one question. That's actually a decent point, and perhaps next year we'll do it by Zoom. Or perhaps next year we'll figure out some other way to have series of flights instead of everyone flying in privately. But it's all part of the grip. So let's continue with the grift, because what really, it's the greatest grift of all time that they are trying to pull off. These are people who, have, who enjoy all of the luxuries of living in Western society, right? They have free speech. They have freedom of association. They, they have all made most of the people there millions and millions, or in Al Gore's case, hundreds of millions, uh, John Kerry's case, hundreds of millions of dollars through capitalism through all of the things that they've done in these free societies. Yet they have this meeting annually in Davos to discuss how they can destroy capitalism, how they can destroy free speech, Western societies, free thought, all of that stuff. So here is uh, Slovenian Foreign Minister Tanja Pajon, think about that one, right? Uh, calling for countries to uh, really stop caring about themselves and uh, bow to the new world order. We have to take care of the rules of the international law and really respect that and not change it in a time when there are countries that choose the way not to respect them. And Russia chose that way. So we have countries that are respecting the rules and we have countries that are respecting their national interests going beyond the rules. And that is what is happening and we have to take into consideration the world order. That's a really extraordinary statement for a foreign minister of any country to be saying. You're respecting the rules if you're respecting the World Economic Forum's rules. They are not some sort of binding organization. Completely not. Uh, they're a group of rich elites who send out their minions to all of our countries to try to change our policies, but they don't set rules. They, they'd like to set rules. They'd like to set far more than rules, and they'd like to take a whole bunch of us out while they do it. Uh, but she seems to think that their rules are more important than the country's own national interests. Well, frankly, Slovenia lady, I think that Slovenians should be in charge of what happens in Slovenia. Okay? I think that's a pretty Slovenian idea. And I think Americans should be more in charge of what's going on with Americans than a Slovenian foreign minister and her sold-out cadre of lizard people. Okay, that's where I sit on this thing. But they continued because not only are they trying to confuse you about climate change and they want to make sure you follow their rules, well, they've also got to make everything gay, okay? They have to gay up the whole thing. Hold on, let me loosen my wrist a little. They have to make this whole thing gay, okay? You have to be gay. And if you're not gay, they'll gay you up. They'll put it in the water, whatever they have to do. They're going to gay it up. We have to get this gay stuff out there. Video! It's about making sure that people are seen in the mainstream media in day-to-day -day life. And I think that's another opportunity where we have the corporate world to play a really important role. It's in the, as, as one of our colleagues said in another forum that we were in the other day, the hearts and minds part of this. And that is to make LGBT um, people, the community visible when you are talking about your product, you know, visible in your imagery. Um, you know, we can make sure that your products are centered towards. Does anyone think we need more of this? 
Are you guys not getting enough gay imagery throughout the day? It's so stupid. First off, gay is maybe 10% of people. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I have no problem with gay people. I'm married to one, okay? But the point is, they don't have to. The majority doesn't always have to cater everything to the minority. But these people are obsessed with that. They're obsessed with that. We should really think about that at a psychological level. Why is it they want everything to be fabulous? Anyway, here's a crazy woman in a hat. And also, our faith leaders, they know that this crisis is much more than physical and environmental schisms. We have a deeply wounded spirit as a people that is in desperate need of healing and restoration. And we must look to our almighty creator to find our proper place in humanity, our proper place. All right, lady, you're wounded, but I'm pretty sure whatever is going to fix you ain't going to fix me. Just stay out of our lives. That is it, crazy hat lady. Uh, Tucker had a nice little take on the ending of the World Economic Forum. They brought in some entertainers at the end, and there was this incredible flautist. She was a flautist without a flout. Take a look. Time to check in with our lizard overlords in Davos, Switzerland. What are they up to? Well, this. to listen to the entire part so we could get, you know, kind of a, a sense of what's really going on out there in the world. And, and you know, you can always rely on Dave Rubin to blow apart transgender story hour, you know, and, and everything. So that's why we have to have mother because we're getting into this larger uh, understanding of this nihilistic relativism that they're trying to move us into. And they think that they own the concept of black and they think they own the concept of, of people's personal private relationships, you know, whether they might be like this or like that or, the, you know, and, and so you can't really fit all the people in the world into these different little convenient hyper-political Marxian uh, little uh, niches, right? So that not, not everyone goes in there and it's, it's important for us to recognize that we can't be labeled and we can't be formatted and programmed into these different preset narratives about what our lives are. And so people, uh, Americans, patriots, uh, married monogamous family members who are raising children like uh, Dave Rubin are going to uh, fight against all this this wickedness and this uh, debauchery that's really overtaking. And, and of course, individuals like him are being, or people who might have dark skin complexion are automatically pulled into this political malaise where they're uh, where people are trying to subsume your entire identity into a political vehicle, into a mechanism, into the weaponization of your identity for their own purposes. And of course, those are, that's kind of the think tank of Davos and their, their process that they go through of trying to ultimately direct and steer the consciousness of the people. And that's how they have their little Greta Thunbergs out there and so on and so forth. So we've been preparing for a long time to discuss how this 
development of World War III would really break out. And in my estimation, this is going to kind of like turn into a large, a larger foray. So the Bible describes a battle on Megiddo near uh, Mount Megiddo. And there's been several battles in the past in this plain, this vast plain around Mount Megiddo in, uh, in Israel proper and, you know, the Judean area of, of the land of the Israelites, you know, historically, right? Now, now Israel has this tiny little, thin little swath of land that they call Israel as a nation. But the fact is, is that that's only really 10% of what their original historical lands were. And of course, after the time of Christ, when he confronted the system of Caesar through his, uh, his governor there, Pontius Pilate, through, after that time, the Roman armies would come in and uh, led by Titus, I believe, and when they would destroy, I think 70 years later, after the time of Christ, they would destroy Israel and just tear down the walls. They would destroy the temple. They would kill everybody. They killed millions of people. It was a total slaughter. Very few escaped. And the people that before that happened, they were starved and cut off in the city. So the time of Christ when Pontius Pilate and the, the Roman legions were being very diplomatic and just pretending to be a regional government in the area and not wanting to interfere with the customs and laws of, of the kingdom of Judah, which was Herod. And of course, Herod, John the Baptist, called him a vixen. Or was that Christ? I can't remember. I think that he probably started to shave his face, like in the Roman style. He was said to have like visited Rome and to be in, you know, in uh, corruption with Rome, right? With Roman money, I'm sure. Roman ways, Roman imperialism in the area. Well, Christ would confront that, and John the Baptist would lose his head. But many years later, the Roman armies would come, and they would surround Jerusalem, and they would destroy Jerusalem. And so this is highly emblematic like we said, of the the sign that it's the system of Rome and not ancient Rome under the Caesars, per se, even though that was the permutation that the form would take at the time. But we're talking about as time would progress, the seat of Caesar, of the Pontifex Maximus title, the priest kings of Babylon, that witchery, that craft, sorcery, would be carried on through the Caesars and then ultimately through the papacy, like we said. But point is, is that we, as we approach this battle, this future battle around Mount Megiddo, we have to point out that there have been past battles around Mount Megiddo. So, and, and, and as we have to make the connection here for you to understand that in the future battle of Armageddon will consist of Jerusalem being surrounded by armies. And this is quite what happened as what I just described just now with the Roman imperial armies. And I am telling you that the, the Roman system of the papacy, who has all the kings of the earth bowing their knee, or in some cases queens, or princes or dukes, all of them, bowing the knee to the papacy and kissing the ring. And they make their way, they like tell, honey, you have to go wear a black satin, ugly looking frock to go see the Pope. He doesn't like women. You have to you have to look you have to dress up like we're like Sunni Muslims here. So that's what everyone else does. Right? That's that, that's the kind of like talk. You know, and of course if your wife wanted to come out and wear some fabulous, beautiful, high end couture, right? Some beautiful uh, heels like from Hermes, let's say. And then uh, not wear the black frock and look like a weird, you know, woman in a uh, uh, a burqa, right? I don't want to make my wife wear a burqa to see the Pope. Screw the Pope. Who the fuck is that guy? I live out here where guys swing hammers and like saw down trees and, and like lay asphalt roadways and you know what I mean? They climb the power poles and fix the wires. I mean like I don't understand no Pope. Nobody these people around here, we don't understand no what a moron. Why is the guy even up there talking? Nobody these guys the people are that I understand out here, 
in the world. They, they don't understand what you guys are talking about. We stand in line and try to sell us the the candy bars and the uh, and the tabloids. And of course, the tabloids all there have the Pope and the, you know the King and the Queen and the princes. And what did Harry say? Harry Potter. They really mess with that guy, man. Right? Because I mean, if you look at it, I mean, you can see that the Prince Charles is not his dad, right? I mean, didn't we already talk about that? I mean, it's kind of like I just want to like get that out there, like just. Put the, you know, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Let me look at what the genetic lineage is just not there, you know? So maybe it's so with the first son, but the second son, uh, Harry, is definitely his mother's son, but he's definitely not his father's son, right? Which is, I'm not picking on him. I'm just saying that that's, that's part of the drama that's happening there and that people can't really perceive. And it's part of the whole Harry Potter, you know, series, right? It's all the, the occult lore of the occult backdrop that people don't really pick up on, like, you know, because Harry Potter had, of course, a little flash burn you know lightning mark on his head right i'm not like a harry potter expert i'm just saying i'd watch a couple movies but it just it goes to point out that these english people are really like brutal on and how they they lay the groundwork but harry potter would eventually grow up and understand his parents were killed and you have to deal with like who he is and like you know all this kind of stuff so there's a weird like little bit of conjecture and uh, a tangent for you to for us to like discuss there but but really we're talking about the emergence of uh, obviously world war three it's going to go down and it was predicted by Albert Pike. And you can see that this is just another concert of nations. It's another Metternichian, Metternichian, I guess I just like to make that up, like Machiavelli and Machiavellian, and then you know, Metternich, and then Metternichian, right? So this is like a Metternichian future drama playing out over the, the Holy Alliance. Of course, Jesuit Pope Bergoglio, Bergoglio is uh, over there you know, presiding over this. He really took down the Knights of Malta. Those are the uh, proud papal knights there. They took down Matthew Festing. I hope I'm saying that right. Was the grandmaster there and showed one little modicum of independence and they ripped him down. And then, of course, so now you can see that the Jesuits, as they have since the, the Battle of Lepanto, as our brother uh, Eric John Phelps always likes to remind us, among other things, among other battles, um, that the Jesuit order and their intrigues and their, you know, also having military power as well, took the Knights of Malta under their authority, under con- their control over the course of time, especially during the period of Napoleon. Okay, sorry, it is blacked out right there. Uh, Napoleon was, the, it was during that period when uh, the reordering of the universe in Europe, when the Jesuit uh, order had been banished by the Pope and then dematerialized or extinguished or however you want to look at it. And of course, they did not go anywhere being willful sons of Satan. They call themselves the the, uh, Society of Jesus, but of course, nothing could be further from the truth. But of course, they're still edifying that name, Jesus, remember? I was telling you the transliteration that uh, Jesus, uh, you know, son of Zeus. So I have to point out that it's this false society of occult hermeticism and this false name and this false Latin identity of Isus of it just takes it makes it antichrist and it's really the society of anti-jesus or antichrist it's really what the society of jesus purports to be but of course they're the antithesis of that so they're really just a another high occult fraternal initiation but they of course have made it into a professional military grade industrial strength secret society backed with all the pretended powers of being the enforcers of the vicars of christ on earth right so that's got to be a highly important thing so they can they can do all kinds of villainy and murder and deception and warfare because it furthers the the aim of heaven on earth right god's 
holy throne of Rome, right? So that's how you're supposed to perceive the Church of Rome to be in St. Peter's or in the uh, the Lateran the church where he sits ex cathedra, speaks without erring, right? Where he can he where he can speak um, when he sits, he speaks. In, infallible, right? So he's, now that was in, he's got his power of infallibility when he sits in that particular. So, so right, it's all this superstition, nuanced dogma, and traditions of men that have been like fragranced with incense and send mia culpa, mia culpa, mucho mia culpa, or whatever, whatever you know, whatever, however the the uh, the super the incantation goes. But you just pronounce the right words and you sprinkle the holy water, and then you can turn any kind of human tradition around. You can switch. You can be like, well, uh, if you go and get divorced, you're going into purgatory, and you you know you can't be you're you're ex you're excommunicated out of the church. Uh, another pope comes in and says oh no you know if you've been divorced it's okay the church still accepts you you can still go to heaven but just you know so it's all this kind of like worse than paganism the random ravings of alienated and dissolute men right who, who are called father who are never married and are not supposed to have any children but apparently have a lot of children but they just pretend like they don't and this is all god's kingdom on earth and so you have to be really painfully ignorantly deceived I mean, that's just the only way the other word i could just think of to grasp onto you have to be just terribly lied to believe that that somehow if you go into these men and these nuns that they will do do some kind of good religious wholesome benefit to you because that's just completely diametrically opposed to the truth okay so what these people are the ones with the exorcist and of course if you go into the book of of um, the Bible there and look at the Gospels. When you have the relationship with Christ in your life and the Holy Spirit in your life, then there can be no evil spirits or unclean spirits around you. Okay? They, they, it sends them to flee. So when you have that faith in of the Lord in your life, you don't have to have any fear of satanic things. Will the enemy try to disturb your peace and upset your life and do things to, to antagonize you in, 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 in your in your walk in your life of course and, and things will arise to make life challenging all on its own but part where we get to the need for the right of exorcism the right a ritual of exorcism in the roman church is really just them admitting that they have a problem with demon possession and they have a problem with demon possession because they're babylonian and egyptian witchcraft and sorcery haven't i already pointed that out that when you do easter rites and christmas magic and roman rituals you get demon possession and then you have to bring in some kind of priest who can cast out the demon and then they have to hold people down they're like oh the, the demon's not being cast out we're doing the water oh my god the demon might possess the priest like watch all the movies right watch the right watch all these weird like demonic movies where they just hold up the cross and then the, de- the demon's like spit on you I, I you know the cross doesn't do anything it doesn't bother me I'm, I'm a demon and i'm here possessing this person and, and you're powerless and your whole ritual doesn't cast me out right so so the whole point is is that the 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 exorcism the exercise of power in the roman church is deficit it's blank it's empty it has no power over the devil and in fact because they're doing these ancient babylonian and egyptian rituals and they brought them up through the course of time and they brought them you have to understand that these rituals and this craft magic this ancient black and white sorcery that they're practicing in rome they were practicing it in rome before the time of christ before christ was born those roman priests and that priestcraft and then the syncretism of that magical mystery cult was already alive and active there. And even after the time of the Caesars and the Imperial Rome passed away, those priests were still there. And they took over the seat of the Roman bishop. And it's 
profane and it's a mockery because people can't see it. You're sitting there and you're like, I'm going to go in and eat the little bread and pretend like I'm, I'm going to do the mass. I'm going to pretend like I'm doing Christianity. You're not. You're participating in an occult black, white magic. Okay. So of course that's what the, the, if you go into look in the Bible, which people don't do when they're in the Roman church and if they have the Dewey Rames Bible, it's just a perverse Latin Vulgate ripoff of the true translation. So if all you have to do is go to New Age translations and look at that book and read it and you'll find out that it's a just complete butchery of the original text. So if you go back to the original biblical text and the Greek and so on, you can find out that we have Texas Receptus and this is how we are able to actually get all the King James Version Bible. And if you go back and look that the priests of Babylon, as they practice their cult in Israel under Jezebel and other other profane individuals, the priests of Baal would wear black and the priestesses would wear white and they were separated. So on one side over there, you'd have all the priests dressed in black and over here, you'd have all the, the priestesses of, of, of Ashtaroth, that was the female god, dressed in white. And so you have the same thing now. You have, it's the same exact Mithraic, was it, we would develop into a Mithraic ritual, but ultimately you can see that in Rome, in that pantheon, when they merged all those and they syncretized all those different religious, occult, pagan mystery rituals and and sorceries into one system and they called it roman christianity and all the other churches of the world had to submit to roman christianity or or die a lot of christians all throughout the middle ages millions of them chose to die and not to submit to that false anti-christian pagan mystery vanity which is what it is so i know that people have to be insulted i have to speak out against islam and point out that islam is also an idolatry and a profanity and it's ungodly and they're oh, am i gonna chop off my head rewind the tape back a few centuries and i'm saying this i'm saying this denouncing i'm denouncing rome and they gotta burn me at the stake and i just it's, it's i gotta take it because i can't i can't sit here and say oh rome is okay and just eat the bread and we'll, we'll all go to heaven and no it, it doesn't work that way when you've been told and your conscience is not clear and, and you're aware of the information, the gospel, that's what gospel means now. It's not get all Latin-y. It's not get all Greek-y. It's not get all twisted in the words. The, the gospel just means the truth. When we're talking about the truth of Christ, we have to remember the truth of Christ and not just pervert it into this other, more comfortable, worldly doctrine with the Christmas trees. And, oh, it's Santa. It's, it feels so good. How, how are we going to go? What will my friends say? What will my family say? What will people say if I start to follow Christ? I just follow the Lord only, and I just all leave, cut all this other crap out, all this papal magic, and all this this popery, and all this crap that has candy canes. It's not even good for your health. It's not good for your soul, and it's not good for your health. When you are accountable for this knowledge, you're no longer just able to just serendipitously go down the road and be like, oh, I don't know, just I, I don't, I plug my ear, I don't, I don't want to hear, I don't want to just, I just want to go and whistle Dixie down the road with all everyone else. I want to do this too. You can. Feel the conviction in your heart because of the Holy Spirit telling you, hey, if you want to walk with the Lord, you have to separate from this. It's always been that way. It was it was the same when he was walking the earth. They had to separate from that. And some people had to make big sacrifices. Some of his disciples were tax collectors of, of the Roman situation. They had to completely be transformed by the revolutionary message and leave behind their entire lifestyle to go and follow him. So what sacrifices have you made with your churchianity and your comfortable Christmas-like religious, almost anti-Christianity. No, that's not going to work. And it's too bad that so many people have raised their kids under these delusions because it separates them from the love of God and the knowledge of the truth because they just don't think of the, the, the intense depth 
of the Bible and what the real walk with the Lord is all about. They just think of Santa Claus and the candy cane and, the, and, the, and just completely subverts their mind. The entire drama, very carefully, very magically, with gift wrapping paper and everyone participates. It's almost obscene if you don't. People's family will, will just drive them out. You just, you'll, you'll be cast out. You'll be shunned. You'll be excommunicado if you don't do it. Now, you'll all come to learn over the course of time that I'm right and, and it sucks to be in right and, and no one cares because they just, they want to have a hot cross bun. And then the tradition of hot cross buns with a little X on it has to do with the, uh, the Phoenicians and baking bread to the Queen of Heaven. And of course, X is a symbol of Nimrod. You have to just go to the, the Freemasonry uh, texts. X is a symbol of Nimrod. And the cross is a symbol of Roman deities and idolatry. It's, the, the Roman cross is not a symbol of Christ. That's just how they killed him. That's what they've killed him on. Just as, as if they would have hung him with a rope. A rope wouldn't be a symbol of Christ. It's just a profane letter T. Because, of course, the Romans had the same letters that we do. So they have a letter T. They understood that the cross is up as a T. It's a letter T. So I'll point out that, of course, when the Romans destroyed Israel with General Titus at the time, and when they destroyed that place so mercilessly, they would rename it Philistina. And they renamed it Philistina after its ancient enemies, the Philistines. That's like somebody destroying America and renaming it China, right? Because Philistina or Palestina is not the name of Israel. It never was, it never will be. And so nowadays you have the United Nations and all these sycophants and globalist worshipers who are pushed up on this idea of the local Bedouins and Arabs in the area and many Persians and who would have been, if you go back and rewind the clock back a few, uh, a few centuries, or just Zoroastrian tribes, the tribesmen there, are now Palestinians, right? Because it was always about Palestinians. And of course, Palestinians or Palestine or Philistina, as it was called, was a name developed by the Romans to, to politically defame and deface the land. So now all these centuries later, the United Nations, which is just a sock puppet of, of the Vatican, right? The Vatican knows how to run international tribunals, right? International tribunals like the United Nations are just weapons of the Vatican globalist elite against our Protestant, Republican, representative government here, our, our, our democracy here in America. So what this is all about, going into World War III, it's just a replay of the Holy Alliance 1815, like we said, 1822, Secret Treaty of Verona, where they they promised and got together and swore a secret oath that they would destroy America and all popular democracy around the world. And now you're going to see that play out because this is just an unnecessary war by two individuals who are both, if you look at Vlad and, and Zelensky and Vladimir Putin, they're just members of the World Economic Forum. They're just part of this global globalist cabal. They're going to survive this. They're going to weather this okay. They're going to come out just fine. But everyone else is going to get smashed in between, right? Poland and everyone. It's going to be just another replay. And you can see that, of course, Biden's got to get his authorization for war powers because they're running out. Their, their emergency war powers is running out. And by March 9th, they have got to have a plan for how they're going to keep on running this government on emergency war powers. Okay, and just having some COVID thing, or just you know, having some kind of bullshit like that is not going to work. So the, their authorization to be doing and using the authority and having all the powers that they have and, and the executive branch, it's running out. So, of course, they're going to go ahead and just start up another huge, massive conflagration right on calendar, right on cue, 1822, right? 2022, now it's time, it's time for the, the big war. And with that big war, they'll be able to get all the emergency war powers they need.
we're headed for a, a crash of epic proportions that the system seems to be collapsing we're seeing so many things now energy crisis uh, permanent inflation supply chains breaking money printing without end and so what would sort of be your assessment of the current state uh, of the world economy well, first off, thank you so much for mentioning the video. Uh, we did that as a kind of an experiment, thought experiment, because um, YouTube is becoming popular for financial education. And we wanted to make something really cool, and we called it Goldnomics. So if you listen to this, check it out. It's still out there. And it's got a great soundtrack that really, like, gets cool kind of, you know, nightclub music. And uh, it got huge, huge uh, reception. It's great. And uh, it did its job, and it's still relevant today, which is a great test of, uh, of good creativity, I think. Um yeah, I suppose the situation today, a situation report um, would be that we are in the, um, I suppose, the beginning stages of uh, a monetary experiment, uh, which has been um, perpetrated upon people um, over the you know the centuries uh, by various different governments. The difference today is it's happening on a global level and it's coordinated. Um, and it, it was all it's based on a kind of a unipolar world where the United States was um, the, the, uh, the, the the chief power for the last uh, arguably 100 years possibly and, and maybe a financial power in the last 50 or 60 um, and the dollar uh, has, uh, has enormous power um, all pretty much all commodities and energy um, that's traded internationally would be priced back in dollars and hedged in dollars and were necessary and so that that obviously created a huge um, um, exorbitant privilege on the US Treasury in that their, 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 their Treasury securities would have to be held by central banks around the world in lieu of dollars i.e. a proxy for dollars in order to pay for energy imports uh, and, and, other, and other imports and so uh, that What's happening now is that that, that uh, exorbitant privilege has been abused uh, or has been abused for the last 20 years on a, on a massive scale uh, with enormous amounts of money printing where you have uh, the U.S. economy now, I think their interest payments have now swollen to something like $1.7 trillion, which is actually more than they spend on their uh, defense budget, uh, which tells you everything that you need to know uh, about how incredibly large a commitment it is. And uh, and the only thing they can do really is to continue to devalue the debt, and they can do that through inflation. Um, is one of the best ways of doing that. So I think it's a policy to have inflation. Um, but I don't think the inflation that we have right now is there by choice. I think they're actually learning to live with it and see the positive to it. Uh, and if they could do that and not kill the patient, i.e. the consumer, uh, then they, they believe they have a chance of, of correcting this, this situation. Um, but ultimately, that debt um, has flowed all around the world, and all central banks have engaged in money printing in order to defend the relative power of their currencies versus the dollar. So if they start printing the money and devaluing the dollar, others have to do the same thing. Uh, and that's been happening everywhere. So the Chinese have been doing it, the Europeans have been doing it, the Swiss have been doing it, you know, the British have been doing it at, you know, at an unbelievable rate. And so we have become a very indebted global economy. And the world is very much in debt. And relative to GDP, it's estimated around 340 to 350% of GDP globally, uh, which is far in excess of where it was just back in the global financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, which was about 240%. So our interest rate sensitivity as a global economy has never been higher. 
And with inflation now uh, on the rampage, uh, typically what happens is the consumer's uh, in, um, uh, income is shrinking relative to their cost of living. So there's, a, there's an impoverishment happening. And if you look back in history, uh, and you go way back in history, back into the 1500s, uh, you can see in, in many places in the world, particularly Europe, uh, when inflation begins to occur, uh, what eventually happens is that people become desperate. They vote desperately. They support desperate regimes. Uh, they do very nasty things to each other. They invade. They go to war. They steal. They take resources. Uh, they try to distract against domestic policy failures by going and blaming international uh, and, and, uh, parties. And they uh, essentially, the world becomes a very, very dangerous place. So we also we have what's happening now is we have uh, the, all the all the all the the components for conflict right around the world, um, and and this is terrifying because the weapons that are out there don't really give uh, anyone a second chance. There's there's a very low survival rate uh, with a lot of these modern weapon systems, and when you have such a huge polarization across the global political apparatus, and you have now going from a, a a single polar world or polar world to a multipolar world, um, with China in the ascendancy and Russia and the BRICS now looking at alternate currencies to get away from the dollar as fast as possible, uh, which is the point of control. And you can't blame these countries for wanting to pull away from the dollar. It is the means by which they have been controlled for many, many years, which worked in their favor because globalization tended to lift all boats to a degree. But now it's been used politically. So Russia got knocked out of the payment systems politically uh, because of their their uh, their uh, their uh, aggressive acts. Uh, Russian citizens were removed from Visa and Mastercard while on holiday. Um, you know these are innocent parties, uh, and they were they were compromised. So the, the question on every finance minister's lips now is: in this new world with a multipolar uh, environment where the dollar is 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 being is being um, uh, usurped by new currencies and new payment mechanisms, what does what, what do they need to look at from a risk management perspective? Well, they need to diversify. Is the answer, and that is what's happening. And you're now seeing com countries uh, are thumbing their noses at the U.S. Uh, power base by openly doing what was unthinkable before, that is to export energy and import energy using other uh, other currencies other than the dollar. And, uh, and the Saudis, you know, for years, the U.S.'s most powerful ally in the Middle East uh, is now in cahoots with China and 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 maybe even by proxy Russia. Uh, the Indians are now actively facilitating uh, uh, energy exports um, um, from Russia, um, and so it's 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 unbelievable. So they're paying for their their exports using uh, um, uh, Middle Eastern currencies, which are then backed by gold transactions. Uh, and this is happening now. This will last a few months. So I don't know. I'm not smart enough to tell you what the end game is going to be. But I can tell you that the that the that there's such variance now uh, at work, and the unexpected, which is really what happened in World War One, uh, could at any time kick off. Uh, some chain of events that can, are irreversible um, could occur, and I wonder. Uh, what can we do as individuals? What can we do as com as companies? What can we do as countries? Uh, um, and it, and it's it's open for discussion. There's a lot of different things that you could look at, but I do think owning precious metals 
is is an essential act of personal sovereignty. And that is to say that when you take possession of something like gold, which is a form of money without any equals, uh, something that has lasted throughout time and and, um, and across all cultures, uh, and you take possession of that form of money, it is distinct and separate from the system, and the system is controlled, and the system is under risk. So you can separate yourself from the system by having that form of money in your possession, and then you have optionality as to which way the world goes. And I'm not suggesting you put all your money to gold, but I do think it's good financial sense to put something in there call it five call it ten percent twenty percent whatever suits you and you have it held in a non-financial institution so here we are we're trying to keep up with the production on the show and it's a lot of work so i hope you guys will support shoot over an email with some support uh shoot over some cash app support whatever you gotta do be great keep us live here i'm just really impressed and amazed with some of these podcasts have, you know, you guys are producing with massive results, massive production every day. It's all, all the time. It's impressive. I work a lot. I can't keep up with that. I'm not really even that enthusiastic either. It's a lot of work, very little reward. Don't really like hearing my own voice that much. Don't really like having to step into this role, this little uh, process of trying to be effectively teaching and we have to go up against the the massive kind of systematic normalcy bias. We have to chip away your cognitive dissonance here because we have to introduce ideas that are otherwise unthinkable. Thought crimes. This is what this entire podcast is, is dedicated to. It's the idea that some things are beyond our authorized thought life, right? They, they go beyond what is strictly acceptable and and in that vein, we have to question here continuously our position as a nation and our continuation as a people, whether it's going to be successful or not. We've gone so far off the track here. We've gone so far away from the constitutional doctrine and provisions that allow this country to exist in the first place on some kind of legal basis. And we've worked our way all the way down to, uh, to a position of, of institutional fraudulence. Even look at the presidency. Look at the, the systems of, uh, of uh, voting machines that, in my opinion, are, uh, are used to, you know, to, to direct the national policy of the country and to disallow the people the democratic empowerment of, of choosing their own leaders. When America went and chose Trump, they, uh, they selected Biden and, and did a little switchery in the machines. You can see this all over the place. You can see it in, in Brazil with Bolsonaro. You can see it. In Arizona, this this disgusting little pig, Katie Hobbs, is in there officiating the, the seat of the governor in a completely illegal fashion. The people all around her know it, but no one has the ability to just snatch her up and say, get out of here, you're fraudulent, you're illegal, get out of here. Somehow she managed to manipulate and produce this fraudulent result and get herself inserted in there. And it's uh, it's depraved. It's completely disgusting that we as a nation are allowing this to happen. But you got to understand that we're we're so far off the, the the track here that it's it's this this nation is in a, is a derailment. We used to be a, a union of independent, powerful nations. So Florida was a nation with its own people, its own citizenship, its own constitution and rules and laws. It was independent. Same thing with Pennsylvania. It was its own nation. It decided. Its own fate, the people in the country, through its, its own institutions of democracy, decided for themselves how, how it would go. But you can see that now all these different 
independent nations like Florida and Pennsylvania, for instance, were devolved and reduced to just simple mere counties, just miniature political bureaucracies underneath the American country so that they were all usurped and subsumed into this larger national structure. Okay, this larger national structure has taken away all the powers and the freedoms that the Constitution granted each of the individual nation states that were parties to the Constitution, the ones who actually contracted and drafted the Constitution and brought the federated, the limited federal government to power. They, br they brought it into existence as a way for them to be unified together. And eventually this, this union of nations took control of the, of the nations themselves in an empire so that now all these different individual nations have lost authority and lost control to federal supremacy. So this tiny little city on the Potomac now tells all the other massive nations in America what to do. And, they, and it has reduced them to just mere counties, like I said. So now you don't get to, dis, to decide your, uh, your voting situation. They can have the federal government more and more and more come in. The, the FBI more and more and more come in in your, in your counties, in your region, in your area, tell you what to do. Federal agents coming in to, with, with long guns, pointing in your face at your door, in your county, in your nation, telling you what to do from Washington, D.C. That's, that's how far down we've come. So we have to question now the legitimacy of the American nation. Not to say I don't love my country and I don't love my, uh, my nation. I love it. But I got problems with the government. We have major problems with, the, with a fraudulent, out-of-control, deep state cabal in Washington, D.C. trying to run the rest of the 50 states in the Union, which are not really supposed to be states. So constitutionally, they're nation states. They're, individual, they're independent nations. And the people in there are free men. Not to be taxed and numbered. That's who's taxing and numbering you with social security numbers. It's Washington, D.C. That's their whole process of, of incorporating all the different people in the United States into a serfdom that they can tax. So we're no longer a, a collection of united nations together, independent and sovereign nations. Now we're just defeated and vanquished nations, subsumed and capitulated underneath the imperial masters in Washington, D.C. So that, that's how far down we've come constitutionally. We, we, go look at your money. Go, go dig into the change in your car, in your cup holder or whatever, and just look at it. Get it out. Smell it. Look at it. Tell me, wh what does it look like? Does it look like it's valuable, precious, semi-precious metals? No. No. Th that's pot metal. That's cheap, rusting, corroding, stinky, fraudulent money. That's what you got. In place of silver and gold, you got fraudulent pot metal, zinc. That's what you got in, in your pocket now. So it's not only the, the actual status of our country as, as, as a nation being a whole set of, a whole multitude of people in these independent nations who have been hijacked by the deep state system working in Washington, D.C. Originally, we put together the capital of America in Philadelphia. And eventually, over the course of time, the District of Columbia was set up and all the different authorities and powers and the supremacy of the, the, the various nation states, like Florida and Pennsylvania, for instance, and New York, were entirely usurped by the mass nations of Washington, D.C. And now we have a, a, a military dictator, a commander-in-chief, not only running the executive branch, but running the entire country with, with fiat commands. He scrawls his name on a paper, and all the, and the Pentagon just buzzes to life, right? We've been through this. How is that constitutional? It's not. There's no executive war powers, commander-in-chief in the Constitution. They just made that up. Now everyone else, all the Congress and, and, and the Judicial Bank, all the other powers of government are subordinated to this uh, commander-in-chief. That's what this is all about. This is all about him re-upping the war powers so that they can have absolute, carte blanche, unlimited authority over the entire country. That's, all, that's your country, wherever you live. Tennessee, Georgia, wherever you live at, wherever your nation is. 
they control you. They tax you. They number you. They come down. They put long guns in your face. And if you want to fight them, then you got to go against the F-16s, like Joe Biden said. So they're not only threatening to use their F-16s against Russia or Ukraine or China or whoever else. They're threatening to use them against you and me on some level. That, that's the thinking. We not only have an unconstitutional, illegal administration of government up in Washington, D.C. that's completely out of control. But we have our money system, which has completely been destroyed and cored out and turned into paper monopoly money, like play money, right? So every dollar you have in your pocket, the longer you have it in your pocket, it's just going to devaluate. It's going to be worth a quarter and it's going to be worth a dime and, and then a nickel. And, then, and so your paper money is just turning into to ash. It used to be backed by silver and gold. It used to be the, the global reserve currency of the world. Well, that's quickly changing. So it's not just the economic power of your country and, and the political usurpation and, and, and the, the creation of a, a, a small constitutional republic built on democracy has been built into a world empire because we have soldiers in Guam. We have soldiers in Vietnam. We have soldiers in, in here. We have soldiers there. We have soldiers in Poland. We have soldiers everywhere. We're the imperial state of the world. And now the entire world is joining together against us. This was a small R Republican government of free men and independent nations who, who came together to join, to maintain the unity of their freedom. At some point after, the, after we said the Civil War, after the, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, who was shot in the face by a bunch of Roman Catholic assassins. That's who Mary and John Surratt were. They were Jesuits assassins. Let's just get over it. Just focus on reality. Like, Learn to do your due diligence and find out the facts. The Pope and the Roman Catholics were on the side of the South. They wanted the Union to split up. But the radical Red Republicans in the North, who were at that time, it was the 1860s, right? Well, the Skull and Bones men had already been in power since 1833. So they had 30 years to prepare the ground. So even though the, the, right, the, uh, the, the radical Red Republicans under Lincoln were going to win the Civil War in the North, it didn't help America. Because Lincoln didn't get a chance to put his emergency war powers back into the constitutional framework. He didn't get to a chance to relinquish these illegal authorities. And they've been in place ever since. They had to get rid of him and kill him and shoot him in the face while he was still enacting these emergency war powers. They were totally illegal, totally unconstitutional. He just had no choice. But he promised the, the delegates of, of the, the, the senators that they, the, the, the normal du jour constitutional decorum of the government would be put back and he would give up his emergency war powers and he would just go back to being the, the unitary executive who's there to veto or sign the legislation. That's it. There's no authorization of use of force. There's no like, well, I can just shoot some missiles and blow up some stuff because I'm the commander in chief. That, that doesn't exist. If you had to go to war, it was the Congress's power to go to war. If you had to do things with the economy and to create different kinds of money, you had to go to the Congress. The Congress had the power. Well, no longer today. Congress doesn't have any power. Even their subpoenas are barely even uh, listened to. You can, you can put Steve Bannon in prison for not listening to the subpoena. But then when uh, the Republicans are in power, they're going to issue subpoenas and no one's listening. No one's arresting. No one, there's no enforcement power. So this is the kind of diluted state that you're going to find yourself in believing that America is somehow the great good guys, that our military authority and strength is beyond reproach, right? We're the greatest good guys of the world. We're here to, to give the world democracy, all these kind of things. Well, we've lost democracy in our own land. And while we're sending troops over there to try to enforce the borders of Ukraine, we can't even enforce the borders of our own country. 
So our, our military is completely overrun far beyond the authority and the boundaries that are set by the Constitution. And they're, they're following illegal orders from an illegal president who's using illegal war powers. That's just the facts. That's just the documentation of the Constitution and, and the, the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and all of our founding documents and the, and the Federalist Papers. And all that is, what that is, a, is laying out for you is how far down we've come as a nation and how, how difficult it's going to be for you to pray to God for a revival to save this nation when it's become a debtor nation, a debtor empire that is militarily threatening the rest of the world. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine George Washington looking at what we've become? So as we have to question these things, we have to go all the way back to the intense diabolical energy that was behind the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And that takes us right up to the assassination of JFK, right? It's the same situation. Was it that the weird lonely communist guy who was up in the, the, the library depository book building or whatever? So you have to call into question that now because it just, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. How JFK was getting ready to go off the Federal Reserve. He was starting to print out silver certificates, $5 denominations. He was starting to print out money that was no longer a fiat currency, but it was hard money again. There's other things he did too. There's other things he did to harken back to the period of Lincoln, things that were empowering the people. And so they got rid of him. There's a host of reasons why. Cardinal Spellman and Knights of Malta and other people got rid of Kennedy. Not much different from how they got rid of Lincoln. Had to remove him out. Of course, Lyndon Baines Johnson, when he was ready, he got sworn in on a Catholic missile, right? Most of the time you put your hand on a Bible. Now, up on the plane, they just whipped out a Catholic missile, which is like a, a little hymnal book, right? And they stuck his hand on there, and that was, that was what they used to put in LBJ. And so this whole period of time brings us up to the question of the major blockage in your normalcy bias. The, ma- the major obstacle that blocks you from being in reality because you're in a delusion. You're in a big five-year delusion loop. That's how long it will take for you to catch up with where the rest of us are in reality. So in order to kind of fast forward that process and help you speed up, we have to start to call into question some of these things in your mind that exists like monolithic boulders and deception. So we're going to introduce this, this book by this gentleman. And it's Bart Sabrell's book about the moon men, right? So we're going to have to go back and take a look at the 1950s and 1960s and decide whether we ever really did have the technology to go to the moon. And as we move forward in time, it becomes more and more painfully clear there's no way we went to the moon. You can, you can believe it or, or not believe it, and that's the power of the human mind, right? To just accept or, 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 to, or to question. And so, you know, this is not a process of trying to get you to believe in lizard people or UFOs, but it's, it's a process of getting you to recognize reality. And the reality is, is that we didn't have the technology, the technological ability at the time. And we still don't. And so it's this whole question of the dark side of the moon. And I assure you, even though that you're having a hard time coming to grips with reality and facing the truth, other people in the world have already come to grips with reality and face the truth. In fact, the Chinese whole program called the dark side of the moon is about them landing their manned mission to the moon for the first time because they're going to land on the dark side of the moon, which is the only way you can land on the moon. Because if you land on the, the side facing the sun, it's too hot, right? So th- all this reality is going to just start to, to come to a front here as we start to look at Bart Sabrell's book and look at the interview here on SGT podcast. And it becomes our, our work here to instruct you so that you can look back over time and see the, 
the mounting and climbing process of deceiving and overcoming the American people with this system of subversion. So that JFK's assassination, Lincoln's assassination, all these, the process by which the aristocratic powers of Europe, the moneyed interests and the high banking interests, the ultramontane powers of the knighthood orders, right? All, all those different combined authority and the monarchs of Europe to get control of their estates here in North America. And this has been the process of getting us off our gold, taking our gold and silver, and putting us on this fiat currency in this Federal Reserve System. This process of breaking down our military strength and selling us out to China and getting us stretched all the way across the entire world without the ability to actually maintain those lines, without the ability to go to war on two fronts with Russia and China, okay, as we empty out all of our stores of, of, of missiles, all of our anti-tank batteries, all of our shells, all of our equipment is being poured out and just given to Ukraine. And not only that, our strategic oil reserves, our strategic petroleum reserves are being completely emptied. It takes years and years to fill that up. How many years it will take to get back all of our anti-tank anti stinger missiles that we just wasted? Five years. Do you think we have five years to just waste all that stockpile of ammunition and just build it back up again real quick? There's no way to build it back up again real quick. Okay, so we're completely vulnerable. That's what these balloons flying overhead, that's what, that's what all this is about. We don't have five years, guys. Stop thinking that we're going to fight you know, China in 20 years. We're going to fight China in about six months. So just mark my words. Get ready for the reality to drop in when you're not ready because you've been not paying attention. You believed that the 9-11 was just some angry Saudis. 9-11 was an inside job done by Skull and Bones, George Bush. You got to figure that out. You got you to focus like a laser. You got to learn the truth before it's too late. If you believe the lies, if you believe that these leaders of academia and politics and in, in business and banking, if you think they're there to help you, you think that the party of Davos is going to help you out and save you, you're deceived. So going forward, we have to recognize that the entire apparatus, the military industrial complex of our country has been hijacked for a long time now. In as much as that all of the states of the union were subverted and taken over by the military supremacy of the of Washington, D.C., so it's one thing to defeat the South, maintain the Union, and set the slaves free. It's another thing to create an entire empire designed to tax the people into oblivion, to put them under perpetual mounting debt with compounding interest, and then to put the people into hypothecation so that the people are themselves the collateral for the debt. So you and your, your son and your daughter and your children, everyone around you, you can see that has a social security number, has to pay for this trillion dollar debt. That's right. You owe it back. Do you have like a, a money printing machine in the back where you can just print up the money? No, you don't. You have to go to work and labor and you labor to pay those taxes and those taxes go to, to service that massive, growing, exponentially exploding debt. So your children, they're going to owe. And their children, you put your children into bondage just by, just by the force of having a baby, taking them down to the hospital and getting a social security number. You're, you're setting that child up to be responsible for that massive debt. And whatever that massive debt is doing, what are they printing out the debt to do? To pay for the Pentagon, to go after the rest of the world, to, to hunt down dissidents around the world, whoever, whoever it is who might be resisting their ultimate authority. So I'm not against America. I love my country. I love it. 
but I'm against these power pigs in Washington, D.C. who have usurped the rest of our lives and who have, through the means of technocracy, brought us into this massive bottomless pit of debt and this bottomless pit of war that's leading us to annihilation and ruin. And, and in order to discuss that more, like I said, well, we're going to bring in this, this, this whole concept of, did we go to the moon? Did they have the dune buggies up there riding around, right in the sunlight, right? It wasn't too hot. Did we put our flag in the moon? There's a picture of a flag right in the moon. It's the American flag. Is it really there? Did, did that, that moon lander, when it came down, it was like all wrapped in aluminum foil. Was that really technologically able to go to the moon? Buzz Aldrin and all the famous astronauts of the Apollo missions, right? Apollo, the sun god, and Neptune, and Mars, and Jupiter, and Saturn, right? All the deities, all the occult. Hermeticism that's, that's mixed with this idea that humanity is going to go to the moon and, and walk on it. I'm not against it. I, I, I wish that we did. I wish that we could have that pride in our heart and say, man, we really did that. But it's coming to light and everyone already knows, and the Chinese already know, that we weren't really there. Okay, so it's this whole idea of the dark side of the moon, which is the name of the documentary. If you want to go watch the entire documentary and, and you know, before it was, it was hard to find on the internet and now it's, it's right there. The Dark Side of the Moon, go look it up. Stanley Kubrick, Donald Rumsfeld, Lyndon Baines Johnson, right? A, bu- a bunch of other characters worked together to pull off this idea that we went to the moon, but we didn't. I think the idea at first was to, to just, as we were building up the technological aegis and we were developing the scientific ability and the equipment that we needed to go, we would just convince everybody that we went and it would just be a little bit of trickery. It would just be a little bit of a misdirection play in order to keep the rest of the world thinking that we were, we were supreme, right? America is the greatest. And so in that whole process of, of developing that propaganda, I think they realized they couldn't go. They weren't going to go. And in fact, you know how many, how many people die in, in the attempt to, to do some of these missions? Well, apparently they went to uh, the moon like 15 times and no one, uh, no one died. There was no accidents. So there's a myriad number of ways that we can begin to analyze this and recognize that it's the deep state cabal that's running the Pentagon, running the military industrial complex this entire time, who has been drawing us into this massive debt. There was a time when we were a creditor nation and we lent money. We lent gold resources. We lent massive tranches of capital to other countries. But now we're borrowing, we're borrowing. We're constantly borrowing because we have nothing. We just have to borrow more credit so we can put it on the printer machine and print out more dollars. And then we can send it down, down through all the, the big industrial corporations, the missile builders, right? The weapons designers, all the big companies can, can send the money down through the economy. And it goes to you and your local stores and your local banks and your local contractors and businesses can, can participate as, as the money flows down. But when the day comes that we can no longer just keep printing out decadently, irresponsibly printing out this devaluating money, the, the whole thing is over. The whole thing is done. We don't, do you have any silver or gold uh, resources saved up? Hopefully you do. Hopefully you have lots of weapons and ammo too. Because what they've been telling us about the nature of our country and our lives and what's going on here in this country has been a lie for decades. Let's revisit those themes again with filmmaker Bart Sabrell, his book, and we talked about this on August 17th, 2022, the last time Bart was on, Moon Man, the true story of a filmmaker on the CIA hit list. 
The background here, guys, is that NASA didn't tell us the whole truth back in 69, 70, 71, as they're now telling us they're preparing astronauts to walk on the moon again. Did we ever get there to begin with? Well, Artemis is the new manned mission to the moon, and the last time Bart was on, we led with this soundbite. The faking of the moon landing, I just felt in my spirit before I started this, it's blasphemous. It's mankind's greatest accomplishment, and it never happened. They embezzled money, they murdered people to keep it a secret, and they'll stop at nothing to make sure the truth doesn't come out. All right, guys, it's time to welcome Bart back to the show. Bart, how are you, sir? Good, Sean. How about yourself? Well, I'm doing okay, and just to remind the audience, your book, Moon Man, the true story of a filmmaker on the CIA hit list, recounts your information given to you essentially in a deathbed confession that NASA faked the moon missions, the Apollo missions, and I think you have a bit of an update. We're going to ask for the audience's help to some degree, but do I have that right? All of the missions that we saw, the American people were shown, the moon landings, the moon buggy, I call it the dune buggy that uh, conveniently folded right into the lunar lander. Absolutely impossible in my view. All of those moon landings were filmed, you say, or the whistleblower says, at Cannon Air Force Base in New Mexico. Do I have that right? Well, the first one was filmed there. Uh, we have information that the later missions were filmed in England in a dirigible hangar. However, the first one, because it was the most important one for people to be convinced that the missions were real, and after they accepted that, Actually, the photography got worse. Uh, but once people accepted it, they had to have good security for the first one. That's why they filmed it on U.S. territory at Cannon Air Force Base. So our person of interest, I did not put his name in the book. And if you go to sabrell.com, S is in Sam, I, B is in boy, R-E-L, sabrell.com, you'll see his son talking about the deathbed testimony that his father gave him. And I did not put his name in the book because his son was still alive himself, dying of cancer, and he didn't want to deal with the publicity. His name was Cyrus Eugene Akers, and he was the chief of security at Cannon Air Force Base in Clovis, New Mexico. Now, my father was in the Air Force, and I had never heard of Cannon Air Force Base. I had to look it up. Uh, if you go to, and, and see it, it's, it's very small. Uh, which is great because you have fewer eyewitnesses. And, of course, each branch of the military has basically its intelligence division. Well, guess where the intelligence division for the United States Air Force is located? Cannon Air Force Base. And I remember Bill Casey, a whistleblower at NASA, saying that the faking of the moon landing was generally supervised by the United States Air Force. So it was filmed at Cannon Air Force Base on June 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, according to eyewitness Cyrus Eugene Akers. Uh, his son told me uh, the deathbed confession of his father. He lived right across from Cannon Air Force Base in Clovis, New Mexico. And so I already knew that the moon missions were fake from photographic evidence, logical evidence that they can't have 1,000 times greater space traveling capability in 1969 than they do today, where they can only go 1,000 distance to the moon, even though we have five decades better technology, right? I mean, that's the only time in world history that technology was greater in the past than in the future. 
which is impossible, which means they didn't go. Then we have, of course, the classified footage of a one-foot model of the Earth that they're pretending is floating in space. The lights come up, you see it's a model. And we have a third track of audio of the CIA telling them how to fake the shot. Then we have shadows intersecting at 90 degrees from objects five feet apart, which can't be duplicated in sunlight where shadows are parallel. You can prove the moon landing is fake from that one picture. And then, lastly, we have a deathbed confession from Cyrus Eugene Akers, who was chief of security at Cannon Air Force Base. He stood beside President Johnson while they filmed the faking of the moon landing June 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of 1968. He gave us a list of 15 people who President Johnson personally gave him and said these people are allowed in to observe. That list is published in my book, Moon Man, which is at sabrell.com, on audio, which I read myself, Kindle, or print. And half these people I had heard of, like Von Braun, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, were there. Uh, the other half I did not hear of. A couple of people from the NSA, the CIA, and one science fiction consultant who's still alive today, Robert Emanager who was there, I guess, giving his advice on how realistic the sets look. Interesting note, the same Robert Emanager goes around telling everybody UFOs are real. Hmm. Uh, they're apparently just as real as the moon landings are. So why they want people to believe in UFOs is anybody's guess. But And it gets even worse. Uh, his son passed away. And there was actually more to his deathbed confession that I did not publish in the book. First of all, I now disclose his name, Cyrus Eugene Akers. We've confirmed he was in the Air Force. You can go and see his tombstone, and it says so right there on his tombstone. He was in the Air Force. We have his military uniform and badges and so forth. The Air Force has tried to scrub uh, the fact that he was ever in the Air Force. If you use a Freedom of Information Act, which was done, they have no record that he was in the Air Force, even though we have pictures of him in the Air Force. So once it got out that we had this information, they tried to you know, cover it up. Even at one point, Cannon Air Force Base boasted on their website the honor of President Johnson visiting their base in 1968. In fact, Robert Emanager wrote in another book of his that he was at Cannon Air Force Base in 1968 for, quote, classified reasons. So we have, you know, more than one source that verifies that these events did take place. The part that we've never mentioned before, and not in the book because his son was still alive, is Cyrus Eugene Akers confessed to more than just the faking of the moon landing on his deathbed. Bart, let's tease it right there. We're going to stop you right there. Okay. Because I think this sure. is the most important part of this interview with you. The important part of this interview with you is this new information, and we need the audience's help. But I do want to back up just for a second. For anyone listening that still believes that NASA, with the technology we had more than 50 years ago, successfully got men to the moon, multiple times and return them safely. If you, dear listener, believe that, I just want to discuss a couple of smoking guns, the smoking guns that I believe prove that didn't actually happen. Who was the gentleman you mentioned who says UFOs are real? What was that guy's name? Robert Emanager. Uh, he did a, a series of TV shows, I think in the 70s or 80s, uh, promoting the idea that he had, you know, classified footage of UFOs okay. that he couldn't show. 
for All some right. reason. And you were positing, why would they want us to believe that? Now, here's my response. Werner von Braun, the father of rocketry, okay, the brains behind these Apollo missions, he knew we didn't have the technology to get to the moon. So on his tombstone, I think he left us a very important secret, Psalms 19, verse 1. The heavens declareth the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Beyond that, Carol Rosen, Von Braun's assistant for years and years and years, tells the story that Von Braun said to her on multiple occasions, he drilled it into her head, that what was coming, the final card to be played, would be a fake alien invasion. And then he would repeat to me over and over, and the last card, the last card, the last card would be the extraterrestrial threat. He told her, don't believe it, don't ever believe it. That will happen, that is the final card, the powers that ought not be will play to deceive the people into accepting their one world government, a fake alien invasion. All right, now with that said, I just want to show folks what I think is the smoking gun that proves there's no way we went to the moon. Guys, recall the lunar lander was so small that it could hardly hold three men, much less three grown men, wearing their full astronaut suits. But because the American people were so pacified back then in the 70s, they got bored of these missions, it became easier and easier for NASA to lie, so much so that they say they brought a doom buggy to the moon. Bart, as we're watching this, I'm not gonna break it. I'll turn down the volume a bit. As we're watching this, just remind people about how preposterous this is. What did NASA get away with? How much money did they steal? What did this moon buggy cost? Just that alone. Well, it, interesting. Yeah, in today's dollars, the moon buggy cost one hundred million dollars each. Even though it had about you know one fifth the parts in a Jeep from World War Two. You know, the main thing you can prove that the lunar uh, lander moon buggy uh, is not genuine is the fact that you just have to think about it. If, if your only way of surviving is the lunar module, would you really drive several miles away from it? And if the car broke down, you'd have to walk back and you run out of oxygen before you arrived, I mean, would you really take that chance? So the idea that they would just drive, you know, miles away from the landing site, nobody would actually do that. Um, I mean, you're right that people were complaining after they went to the moon the second time that they had seen it. Why are you interrupting reruns of I Love Lucy? That's why the next mission, Apollo 13, on April 13th, that 13-13 military time had a, quote, accident to add drama, you know, to the equation. The fact is, uh, they cannot duplicate the moon landings. No nation on Earth can do it. There's never been a technical milestone in the history of mankind that couldn't be far surpassed, not even duplicated 50 years later. Well, I, if I could interrupt, though, let's just stay on this. The lunar lander... Isn't it convenient that NASA has lost all of the telemetry data? They've lost all of the architect and engineer blueprints, right? They've lost everything that would prove that they went to the moon. And I think it's pretty key to be able to share with the people, if this story is true, how they transported this, I think, very heavy dune buggy, fully equipped with tires, how they folded that up into the lunar lander. 
That's what they claim they did. They claimed it folded neatly up into the lunar lantern and then just miraculously unfolded. They could drive it around, no problem. By the way, the battery technology back then, far better than Tesla and uh, Elon Musk have today, evidently. Well, yeah, I mean, it would throw off the center of balance while they were landing, so that that wouldn't work. And then the whole idea that you could power the lunar module itself for three or four days in 250-degree heat with air conditioning nonstop and get it down to 72 degrees, I mean, that can't be done. In fact, astronaut Don Pettit of NASA didn't say that they lost the blueprints. He said that they intentionally destroyed them. Now... That doesn't make sense. I mean, if you spend an equivalent of $200 billion developing a technology, you don't throw it all in the furnace when you're done with it, right? Maybe they should have done that with the atomic bomb, but they didn't. Just 10 years after the atomic bomb was first blown in 1945, atomic bombs were 1,000 times more powerful. So if they could go to the moon on the first attempt with one millionth of computing power of a cell phone, we would have been on Mars 10 years later. We'd be in another solar system by now, and there'd be bases all over the moon. 100% right. And let me just show you this. Yeah. I hate to interrupt, but, you know, I get excited about this topic. i got to show you this. NASA got away with all of this back 50 years ago. They're doing it to the people again, right? So Artemis, we're taking men back to the moon, they say, and they're testing a new lunar rover. So if you believe them once, friends, evidently you'll believe them again. You can comment on that, and then I want to ask you about why they shot the rest of the faked missions in England, and how that might relate to Stanley Kubrick. But your thoughts here, a new lunar rover for the Artemis missions. Well, first of all, there are some distinctions between them allegedly going to the moon on the first attempt with 1969 technology. You know, no aerospace endeavor has ever gotten off the ground on the first attempt in the history of aviation. Not the Wright Brothers kite plane, not the 747, which took 168 attempts to get the fuselage off the ground. Only the most complicated aerospace endeavor worked the first time. And NASA has never kept a schedule, ever, except the most complicated one of all time. They were ahead of schedule. They said in 2014 they're going to have an unmanned probe orbiting the moon in 2018, and it took them until 2023, I guess, to, to do that, or was it last year, 2022? So they were four years behind schedule with five decades better technology just to put an unmanned probe around the moon if you believe Correct. it because i don't see any Correct. hd video coming from those missions i don't see anything conclusive and i certainly don't see any hd video of earth being shot from the moon which i'd really like to see yeah i mean if i were in charge of a real mission to the moon i would put a camera on the side of the rocket and have a 24-hour channel of the moon getting closer closer and closer and closer uninterrupted, you know, all the way down, which they've never done. The, the interesting thing, a couple of points, is that they sent mannequins to orbit the moon. Now, I mean, why did they do that? That's pretty unusual, isn't it? According to uh, the latest reports from NASA themselves, uh, Kelly Smith said, and you can see all of these clips, my book is interactive, it has 15 sorry, 16 video clips in it. And you can see all these for free at sabrell.com. Go to the top left button. One of them is Kelly Smith from NASA plainly stating, he says word for word, that the technology necessary for an astronaut to survive the trip of leaving Earth orbit to the moon 
that that technology has yet to be invented because of space radiation. So that's why there's mannequins on board Artemis. And then they just published an article a few weeks ago that says in order to carry humans to the moon and the necessary fuel, water, and oxygen, they're going to have to make multiple fuel trips to Earth orbit in order to have enough fuel to go from Earth orbit to the moon. Then how did they do it in one rocket in 1969 when with newer technology it takes multiple fuel trips? That's what Von Braun originally said in his publications. He said these mathematical numbers are irrefutable. You'd have to build the space station first, ferry the necessary fuel up to the space station, and then, and only then, would you have enough fuel to land on the moon. And what a surprise when they, quote, return to the moon, that's the way they have to do it. But they never did that the first time, which is kind of interesting. So it seems a little odd that this is the state of the world that we live in. And as from the first clip that you showed of the last interview, it, yeah, it, it dawned on me that when, if mankind's greatest accomplishment is putting a man on the moon, which is what it would be if it were true, and the fact that it is complete forgery. And Nixon had the audacity to say putting a man on the moon when he knew they weren't there was the greatest event since creation. It really is a spiritual blasphemy. The faking of the moon landing, yes, it proves that our federal government is corrupt beyond measure. It also proves the state of mankind is being completely lost, that we can't uh, tell the truth about what is our great accomplishment. It also proves that the people who run our government are juvenile. I mean, why didn't they just tell the truth? Hey, we set a goal, we can't do it. But the fact that they faked it is really an immature thing to do. They're also kleptocrats. So again, rinse and repeat, loot the American people. And I'll, of course, let you keep going on that thought, but uh, I do want to segue at some point to the possibility that Stanley Kubrick played a role in the filming of the moon missions, because Stanley Kubrick had a relationship with NASA. In fact, they allowed him to use very, very rare NASA-only lenses for the filming of Barry Lyndon, which was shot completely without lights. He shot it all with natural lighting. So the world's greatest director, who also, by the way, had final cut, except for we wonder what happened with Eyes Wide Shut, 24 minutes of that film, was never shown to the people of the world because the people who controlled Warner Brothers absolutely freaked out when they saw the first cut of Eyes Wide Shut. Kubrick reminded them he had final cut. He was dead a week later. So as we go back to this Lunar Lander footage, I would buy this hook, line, and sinker in 1969, 70, 71, 72. But I think this is pretty convincing footage, aside from all the things we just said. Technically, it's not possible. You can't fold up a moon buggy. Do you think Kubrick directed at least the first mission? I, I suspect he was in charge of Apollo 11. Uh, after 1968, he refused to ever come to America again, I think for fear of dying in a plane crash. Uh, basically, the moon missions are fake. Therefore, somebody was in charge of the fake photography. You basically had two choices. You could hire the general of the media department of the Pentagon and get great security and amateur results. 
Or you could hire the best filmmaker on the planet, which was Stanley Kubrick, who in 1968, what a coincidence, was shooting a film about going to the moon. And you would have great results, and you'd have to worry about security later. They had to have as a priority the short-term benefit of realistic pictures. If you can't convince people through the photography, you're sunk. So they had to have chosen Kubrick. In fact, some people know, and there's a few documentaries about it, in the film The Shining, the little red rum boy has a hand-knit shirt in one scene that says Apollo 11. And I suspect that either Kubrick's death was faked, or he had a great suspicion that his death was around the corner. Because not only are there pictures of him at NASA talking to the flight director, and yes, it is true, NASA gave him the first use of a lens that could photograph under low light, which he used for Barry Lyndon. It's also a fact that he stipulated in his contract that his last film, Eyes Wide Shut, open on a particular day. The most famous picture of a person allegedly on the moon is Buzz Aldrin standing with his arm bent. You know, there's so many clues that that is a fake picture right in front of your eyes, especially his arm being leisurely bent at 90 degrees when it's supposed to be pressurized, which it's not pressurized because there's wrinkles all in the suit. I mean, how many wrinkles are in a balloon? So it's like, you can see right there that it's not even pressurized, but you don't see it because your eyes are wide shut. You're predisposed to believing that it's real. So in his contract with Warner Brothers about the film Eyes Wide Shut, he insisted that it open on a particular day. And he refused to sign the contract unless it opened on that particular day. They said he's eccentric. What difference does it make? Let's give it to them. Well, that date was July 16th, 1999, the 30th anniversary of the alleged trip to the moon. So I think Kubrick uh, was definitely involved. That's who I would have chosen. And I think they probably retired him, either faked his death or, or executed him. Because a lot of the people I've been tracking since I started this investigation 30 years ago died at either the age 70, like he did, or at 69. I remember the day that he died, I signed on to the Internet, and I think I had AOL at the time, which had news, and it said Kubrick dies at the age of 70. His wife says, quote, there were no suspicious circumstances regarding his death. Quote, and I'm thinking, that's a weird thing to say. That's like getting pulled over by the cops for speeding and saying, I had nothing to do with that bank robbery. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, why did she say that? Because there were suspicious circumstances regarding his death, and she wanted the killing to stop. So she wanted to cooperate you know, with the entities that did it. You can go to sabrell.com, get a cheap copy of Moon Man on, you know, Kindle, audio that I read or print, and you'll hear the following or read the following. Cyrus Eugene Aker's son, whose name was Gene, uh, who was my main source for this new information, basically he gave me this list that his father gave him from President Johnson about these 15 people. I called up a couple of the people on the list at the request of some friends of mine who wanted to get a reaction out of them. And I'd maybe trace who they called. But they definitely called somebody because I called up Eugene Krantz and told him that his name was on the list 
of people at Cannon Air Force Base. And two days later, Gene's house was broken into when he was out, and all the information and documentation about his father's participation in this fraud was confiscated. And then two days after that, two people who identified themselves as government employees said that if he ever spoke to me again, they would kill him and his family. Now, this was about two years ago, so this is very serious. The government is afraid that if the truth comes out about the moon landing fraud, it will be the finger out of the dike that will collapse the government. You know, whoever killed Kennedy, he's still dead. Whoever did 9-11, they're still dead. Unlike those lies, this was a positive lie. People waved their flag. They teared up. They got down on their knees and prayed. They gave them medals of honor. They put it in the encyclopedia. They put it on stamps. They put it on coins. For the public to find out that that was all a lie, even though this particular fraud probably killed the fewest number of people, I believe the exposure of this lie would cause the greatest outrage of the American public, more than 9-11, more than who shot JFK. And maybe it will come out. You know, I fear for the surviving astronauts because you know about snakes and they will eat their own children. And so the government didn't have a problem killing the crew that would have been the first crew to walk on the, on the moon. This isn't my opinion. This is the opinion of the dead man's wife and the dead man's son, who's a 747 pilot, that the crew of Apollo 1 was murdered by the CIA. So they are they're killing their own people. So beware surviving astronauts, because they're not going to let you get a conscience on your deathbed or become senile and ramble and say something wrong again. They're going to take care of business. And so I suggest that somebody else come forward. It's remarkable that we have this deathbed confession from Cyrus Eugene Akers. I already knew that it was fake. We had more than enough proof to prove it. And yet when you hear I was there, I stood beside President Johnson. It's just, you know, another chill goes down your spine when you know where it was filmed, when it was filmed, and a list of 15 people who were there at the time some of whom are still alive right now. So what does all this mean? You know, it means that our government, are, and, and our government is really no different than the governments of the world as far as corruption goes, other than we're the, quote, leader of the world governments. That means our world is run by a bunch of murderous criminals who are enslaving the people under their care. I mean, if you have to ask permission to open your business, permission to go shopping, permission to ride your bicycle, permission to go to the beach, permission to travel, then you're a slave. And they say statistically that human slavery is greater now than at any other time in human history. And what's the best way of having a slave? To make them think that they're free to trick them into thinking that they're free. The land of the free. It's also said, Sean, we have the best health care in the world. 
The exact opposite is true. 70% of Americans are taking prescription medicine, which means 70% of Americans are sick. Is there any other country in the world that has 70% of their population ill? That means whatever country they're in has the worst health care in the world because it's producing two-thirds of the people, almost three-quarters, who are ill constantly. Friends, just a real quick break and a word about our sponsor. You know, I saw a statistic the other day that said, uh, I'm going off memory, I probably have this wrong, but something like 30%, it could be higher than that, 30% of people who need medical procedures are holding off on getting those procedures because the cost is prohibitive. They can't afford it. So you make a really good point. And uh, you mentioned people being tricked, tricked into believing they're free when really we are part of a slave system. We've got Arthur C. Clarke here, pictured with Stanley Kubrick repeatedly on the set of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, They had a relationship that spanned more than just this feature film, 2001, in my view. Because if we scroll back up here, I think we see Arthur C. Clarke, Arthur Clarke walking with Stanley Kubrick with these guys from NASA. Back then, the trick was to get the people to believe getting to the moon was simple. That we are just a speck of dust, a pale blue dot hurtling through the universe and time and space, and we're meaningless. We are the result of a big bang. So I think the whole thing... Lock, stock, and barrel is a trick. It's a rich man's trick, just like all wars are a rich man's trick, Bart. Well, yeah, these people are in clubs. I mean, Kubrick knew Clark, and Clark knew Aldrin. Buzz and I have spoken uh, off the record on numerous occasions. I was at a party with him and Arthur C. Clark, <laughs> and... Um, they all know each other. They're all part of this club. I don't know if it's Illuminati or whatever they are. I was there as a guest, as a press person. And what's going on behind the scenes, I have no idea. Other than Buzz has told me that I'm correct and good luck proving it. He also told me he believes in God and that's why he did not swear on the Bible. I apologized for provoking him, and I apologized for uh, speaking to an elder disrespectfully. I mean, I've lied, and I've stolen, and I've been a coward myself. The, the word that upset him so much during the punch was coward. And I've studied this out recently, biblically. Uh, I think it's the second to the last chapter of Revelation. It lists certain people who, if they don't repent, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Sexual immorality is mentioned, stealing is mentioned, drunkenness is mentioned. But you know what the first one is on the list? The cowardly. You see, the reason why, to this day, Buzz Aldrin will not tell the truth is because he's afraid to look bad. He's afraid that all this, you know, stuff he allegedly pulled out of the closet that he took with him to the moon and made hundreds of thousands of dollars on coins and paper clips and buttons that were never on the moon that he sold at uh, Sotheby's auction. And then, of course, all his you know interviews, hundreds of interviews in which he lied, and then all of his relatives, he, he lied to them as well. To come clean after all of that would make him look bad, at least in his mind. And so he's afraid to look bad. 
I would be more afraid of looking bad on Judgment Day to God. I don't know about you, Sean, but I think about my eternal destiny pretty much every day. And Judgment Day every day. They say don't put all your eggs in one basket, but I do. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Things don't make themselves, a car doesn't make themselves, and neither does the departmentalization of the human body. A bee and a flower can't evolve knowing they're entirely dependent on one another. That just can't happen. So people deny God so that there's no moral accountability so that they can just do whatever they want. If there's a God, then they have to stop sinning. Therefore, they'll create an excuse why there's not a God. The issue really isn't the things of this world. The issue is really the things of the next world, after which we'll either be dead forever after Judgment Day or alive forever. And all that we have to do is to confess our sin. The interesting thing, though, Sean, is, you know, in all of our years of watching the news, have we ever seen a news story where a person who was at large for robbery, rape, murder, whatever, got a conscience and turned themselves in. I've never seen it. I think he should tell the truth, and especially for his own sake. And the sooner the better. And what would happen? I mean, just imagine, Sean, for a minute. I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, writer. I have a vivid imagination. Imagine what it would be if we both got a phone call and our phones keep ringing. Hey, stop what you're doing. Turn on the TV and Buzz Aldrin is tearfully confessing the moon landings were fake. You know what that would be like to me, Sean? It would be like the whole world of those people who are deceived about this had a glass of water thrown in their face and they wake up, they're sleepwalking, and they're one foot away from a cliff. That's what would happen in the minds of people. They, w- they would be refreshed. You know, telling the truth about the moon landing fraud is unpleasant. And it's like, you know, cutting off a gangrened limb. But if you don't cut it off, the whole body will die. Cutting it off, you know, is a sad thing. But what choice do we have? It's got to be done. You have to face the evil if you want to meet your maker and be left whole because everybody will be judged. And I just want to say one more thing here. I think you might be right about Buzz being a decent person. I think these men were pawns in a far larger game. And you touched on it earlier in the interview when there was a flash fire on the launch pad And Gus Grissom, Edward White, and Roger Chaffee were burned alive. Why? Because Gus Grissom could not contain himself. He wanted the people to know this thing was a lemon. I think he actually hung a lemon outside the capsule just to make his point. He was making enemies at NASA and with the CIA because he knew this thing was not going to get them to the moon. He was concerned about it. So I think these men were pawns. And to flesh that out further, in your confrontation, in one of your confrontations, I think it was with Buzz Aldrin in Astronauts Gone Wild, he says, talk to the administrators. You show him video that they were clearly faking, faking being near the moon when they were really in near-Earth orbit. He understands what he's seeing. He understands you've got the goods. He says, hey, man, talk to the administrators. We were just passengers on a ride. They were pawns in a far larger game, Bart. Yeah, he did a couple admissions that I was correct on camera. That's why he threatened to sue me if I showed his admissions on camera to anybody. He basically said he was a passenger. 
that they both, him and Neil Armstrong, were passengers, plural, meaning they just orbited the Earth. They were never pilots. And that they didn't fake the moon landing. That was NASA's responsibility. And then he said, because I do have this footage that's in a funny thing happened on the way to the moon. You can see it for free at sabrell.com. They're faking being halfway to the moon. He says, oh, and this makes you a real famous person for having discovered this. What an ego you must have to want to propel your career with, you know, this way. Well, how would it prepare my, propel my career if I'm wrong? So he's admitting that it proves that the moon landings are fake. Now, back to Gus Grissom. I interviewed Betty White for four hours, and I interviewed uh, his son, uh, Scott Grissom, for three hours. Now, I did not put uh, all of this uh, in my film, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon, because she was still alive. But I was able to put it in my book, and it's the second to the last chapter in the book Moon Man, which you can get at sabrell.com. It's called NASA's Greatest Fear. And the reason is... We know they faked the moon landing, but let's just say they faked the moon landing and they didn't kill anybody. Okay, it's a counterfeit, you know, currency. It's a counterfeit Picasso. whoop de do The government lies. Well, you see, it's more than that. Betty Grissom told me that the day before he burned alive, that he came home from work in Houston and said, "Hun." For some strange reason, the CIA is all over the launch pad today. They've never been there before. Why are CIA agents monkeying around with all the equipment at the launch pad? The very next day, the guy was killed by, quote, faulty equipment. So, I mean, that's pretty clear. And you're right. He held an impromptu press conference a few days before where he hung a lemon on the top of the rocket and invited the media in. He said, this thing is a lemon. We're 10 years away from going to the moon, not two. So he wouldn't cooperate with the faking of the moon landing. And they burned him alive to prove a point so that when Neil Armstrong came along, they said, look, you want that to happen to you as well. That's why Neil Armstrong rarely gave any interviews about it. In fact, I personally went to the archives at NASA, a vault, a literally walk-in safe. And I said, can you please show me one still picture of Neil Armstrong standing on the surface of the moon? They went through the files and scratched their head and went through the files and scratched their head because there isn't one. He refused to be photographed. Now, if you and I went to Paris, how many pictures of us are there with the, you know, the Eiffel Tower in the background? You know, two dozen. And yet there's not a single picture of him. Now, the excuse is, well, he's taking the pictures, so he's not in them. Well, I think, you know, if there's a 500 degree difference in temperature from light and shadow and micrometeorites or radiation, you probably have a backup camera, you know, have a camera on both astronauts. But there's no, actually no no photographs, still photographs of him on the moon. So we had to just play a large section of that interview right there so that you could just get a good contrast, get a good kind of perspective on what they're discussing and what the information is. Obviously, they're going to go more into it. We, we couldn't play and represent the entire interview, so we played as much as we could. And I think it's crucial that you're able to hear this alternate perspective, which I think you're going to find out ultimately is the truth. And if you go back and just use your brain, use a little bit of your own intellect, stop listening to all the propaganda and all the information that's there to distract, I think you're going to come to realize that the, that the truth is, is really the truth. And 
that they haven't been to the dark side of the moon and that China is confronting America's uh, prestige and power in space by basically setting up the situation to go to the moon for the first time. So thank you once again for coming back to the Silver Journal entry and listening to our episode. I hope you'll support us on Cash App.